We interrupt your regularly scheduled programming to bring you this special report. Video games. Where is this all headed? I'm Shane Satterfield and I'm joined today by my co-host, Matt Kyle. Hello and welcome to Game Face episode 100. Do not attempt to adjust your television because we are on the internet and your television isn't going to affect anything here. Do not attempt to adjust your brain either. Because we're not going to talk like this the whole episode. So. Thank God. <laughs> Welcome to Game Face 100, everybody. A milestone episode for us. Didn't know if we'd make it, but we did. And uh, we have a special episode for you guys. Usually, Game Face is really topical. We talk about the games that came out that week or the controversial stories or whatever. And um, this time, we're going to talk about the gaming news from 1955. Yes, eh? Yeah. Pinball. Should it have bumpers? <laughs> Discuss. <laughs> this episode's a little different. Uh, instead of talking about kind of the big stuff that happened this week, we're going to discuss games on a bigger, more longer-reaching scale. We're going to kind of look at what are the big trends that are going on right now, what we think is going to happen in the immediate future, and the, fa the far distant future. And to do that, we have two very special guests on the show today. And just right out of the gate, these are not live interviews with these people. These were pre-recorded, um, but pre-recorded intelligently so that they yeah. would seamlessly fit into the show. But it was and, like, you can't, we couldn't arrange for everybody to be in one place, so this was the best way to get all these people that I think everybody wants to see on one show. Yep, and those people are Marcus Beer and Adam Sessler. So... We have huge interviews with both these guys that are going to talk about a range of controversial and forward-thinking topics. And I think uh, both interviews great, and they're all going to be kind of told within the context of a discussion with Matt and I. So without further ado, let's get going. One of the first things we wanted to talk about with both of them is what they're doing now. Because we haven't seen either one of these guys for quite a while. Marcus has been MIA for a couple of years. Obviously, he's had health issues. Adam is off doing his own business. So the first thing I wanted to ask was, what's resonating with you right now in the world of video games? Uh, let's hear what Adam had to say. It's, I'm, I'm really seeing kind of a future for games that kind of downplays so much the competitive nature where you're appreciating this skill that people are employing. Because that can be really hard, especially with a game like Dota. Where if you're not understanding the very kind of arcane logic that's there in front of you know on, on, on the screen, you really don't know what you're looking at. Here, there's there's natural dramatic storytelling that's happening organically, and you can get very very excited without having to know much about the game. So do you think it's sort of the asymmetrical multiplayer thing that? Because remember there was Evolve, which was kind of the first big budget game that kind of went down that route, and it failed pretty terribly. What do you think is different this time, and do you think that's really kind of the, the next step forward? Um, I, I don't know how much is on the asymmetry, and what one of the issues I see with Evolve is it required, once again, a fair amount of unique skill. You had to really understand the class that you were playing. You had to really you know work very well with the people you were playing with. I don't think there's anything fundamentally wrong with the design of Evolve, is that it, it, it made assumptions of a player base that didn't exist. And that I've seen good players play Evolve, and it can be very exciting and fun to watch. And it's, it is fun to watch because you have to bring the players together. Um, whereas you look at something like PUBG, it's very, very hard, but it's hard not for accessibility. 
it's hard just to play. Same thing for Friday the 13th. I think, you know, that that's where the trick is. You can get in there. You understand, like, how you're supposed to win, and you can understand why you're going to lose. But it's like trying to just, you know, find that really, really sort of narrow path to victory. That's, that, that's where the challenge is, not understanding how to play the game itself. Do you think the difference in between a success and failure in uh, asymmetrical games is having to rely on other people versus only having to rely upon yourself, maybe? I, I, I think that's a, that, that's a big chunk of it. I think that's true for actually most co-op experiences or with like some element of co-op, you know, even though there's like a, a competitive angle to it, um, is that, you know, and we just know this from just old co-op games, that if you're playing with someone that's like not playing along, and it's just kind of there, like it really does ruin the experience. I think that's why, you know, even kind of games like Destiny started to move towards the idea that you're only gonna do certain things with people you know, because your friends usually won't be that rock you have to carry, or if it is, it still makes it for a more fun experience. Yeah, that was a problem I found with Evolve, was that if you got paired up with someone who didn't understand the role they were playing and how that linked into the team dynamic, it ended up just yeah. being a waste of time. Literally, just yeah. you were wasting your time. And if you were a player who you realized you were not helping out the team that much, I think for non-sociopaths, you just feel terrible and you just don't go back to playing the game. <laughs> You're right. That's a good point. <laughs> Matt, do you think maybe a little bit of Adam's involvement with Friday the 13th, the game, is creeping into... Maybe a little, but I mean, uh, that kind of multiplayer idea uh, has always been, I know, very compelling to him in general, which is probably why he got involved with Friday the 13th in the first place. Right, right. Um, but, uh, and I like that idea a lot, too. I mean, I played Evolve at, a, at multiple events and thought it was great, and I was super, Everybody did, super did excited about it. Everybody did one game of oh, E3 yeah. the one year. <laughs> and then it, I didn't buy it. Yeah. Because, um, I mean, he's right that, like, you know, there's, there's the concern about, are you going to have people to play with? Is it going to, you know, you got to learn a lot of stuff. Is like, are other people going to keep it alive long enough for you to, to become good at it? But my problem with it was like they, you know, 2K really nickel and dime people on this one. And like you had this feeling like you were paying $60 for a game that wasn't complete because they were still waiting to sell you this other monster and these other characters and this season pass for this and there's another season pass. And is that, and it was kind of the, one of the first game console games at least to really try to do that. Now it's like we don't blink it bad an eye like Street Fighter V as season two and so right. But this really didn't feel like a good value for the money you were spending in a lot of ways. And maybe that's different now? I don't know. But back then, I just couldn't justify spending $60 or, or more, depending on which version you got, to get what wasn't really even the... It really felt like, you know, there's a common complaint about, like, oh, you're not getting the full game. They're, not, they're piecemealing things out. This really felt like they were really doing that. A lot of times I'm skeptical of that claim because I'm like, well, they get a full game. There's little bells and whistles you have to pay extra for. This really felt like you were paying like more than the price of the game just to get the basics and I just ended up staying away from it. I think the biggest problem facing asymmetrical multiplayer games is that you're always reliant upon someone else. Mm -hmm. And I find the same I have the same problem with Rocket League when I play Rocket League online. It's if you have one weak link in the chain, the whole experience can be ruined. I I can't stand to play. Oh, you should try playing uh Destiny 2's countdown mode. Yeah. It's like the same, you know, it, which is like any kind of mode like that where it's like, uh, especially with like permadeath. Yeah. Or like like a SOCOM style thing. Mm -hmm. Like if you got one guy, you know, if, if it becomes essentially due to either lack of skill or lack of interest on the part of one of your teammates, if it essentially becomes four on three in favor of them, that's not fun. Yeah. And, the you know, like an asymmetrical game, like Evolve, you could play... 
you can play the monster just fine on your own. If you're Jason in Friday the 13th, you're good. Um, but you can't always but you choose can't to play those. Choose to play those. Although only one person gets to be that. Right. And uh, if you've got somebody, that doesn't, you know, it's not it's, it's not the same thing as like, oh, this person isn't good at it yet. It's just like they're not playing properly. Or griefing, intentionally yeah. ruining the game for other people, and evolve especially. I mean, we don't. I don't want to dwell on this game too much because I think Adam's more general point is it kind mm-hmm. of asymmetrical is what he's enjoying right now. Yeah. And this is an old example of that. But with Evolve in particular, the way you had to set traps and things like that and how every player had sort of a specific thing that they had to do to satisfy the end game conditions, I think it was just set up to fail from the beginning. It, you're asking way too much of randoms at that point. Yeah, I mean, I really like the idea of asymmetrical multiplayer. I find it very compelling. I've just... The concept sounds yeah, great. I just haven't seen it done in a way that... Because I think Friday the 13th does it very well. Um, maybe even better than Dead by Daylight, which beat it to market. Mm-hmm. But um, I still don't see it being like a breakout, like, you know, 7 million selling hit. Like, it's like, whatever that is hasn't been found yet. And maybe it's a mode that'll pop up in a Call of Duty game one day or, a, or another popular thing, or maybe some permutation that uh, Player Unknown Battlegrounds comes up with. Uh, in the next or, two years or another something. game comes up with trying to imitate yeah, yeah. PUBG, <laughs> which could very well happen. I mean, yeah, I mean, you never know. Like Rocket League came about just because they were doing a like a little stunt car game, and someone's like, "Put a ball in there, see what and happens." Boom! Like, yep. you, and magic happened. Yep. So uh, somewhere out there, there's a game developer who has the correct the correct idea that's going to send asymmetrical multiplayer through the roof. It just hasn't happened yet. It's close. It's getting. It's, you can taste it. You can, it's, <laughs> it's, it's right there on the edge. And it could be one of these other games. You know, maybe Friday the Thirteenth hits on something. Yeah. Uh, at some point, um, maybe you know, evolve. It's been pretty successful. Evolve wasn't too far off. Something I don't think. I think if they'd, if they had not gone the extreme pre-order DLC route and not alienated so much of the hardcore like and poison gamers. the well. Yeah, basically, like people that wouldn't even yeah. give it a try because they felt like they're getting ripped off. Like that. I mean, yeah. it's hard for me to blame. Evolve itself for its own failure. I mean, it, it already had a uphill climb, as you say, with how much you have to rely on other players and how much learning is involved. But the fact that you had this huge other barrier thrown up by the publisher in terms of how they wanted to charge you for the content, I mean, you, you were three levels back at that point and it was doomed. Yep. All right, let's find out what Marcus has been up to these last couple of years. Ooh. I, I mean, I got, I got the PlayStation VR. And you know, look, I've been saying for years that VR is the next big thing. VR is the, the the way forward for the games. I mean, some will say it's you know esports and shit like that. I say no. Um, I love the PSVR, Star Trek Bridge Commander. It's not the, it's not exactly the most technically challenging, super advanced, intricate game. But when there's four of you on a Tuesday night, with you know some substances being consumed by some people and uh you know a, a scotch or two as well for me uh it's brilliant i mean just getting through the various missions talking bullshitting um i mean you and i talked about the the uh was it the werewolves among us or the wolf among us whatever it's yeah, called wolf the, among us, yeah yeah um uh, and th- that's great i mean it is really really a shit ton of fun uh, and I, I heartily recommend it. I mean, I'm hoping that Sony continue to do a bunch of VR stuff. I mean, obviously, Fallout VR is about to hit, um, and which means that now, after two years of playing Fallout 4 on my 
my laptop, I'm now going back to go and put it on the PS4 because I want to play on, you know, I want to play that. Uh, and I got to say, you know, VR, if you can get it on a PC now that the prices are down or get it on the PlayStation and hopefully Microsoft will come with something beyond HoloLens. Um, that's the way that's the way forward. And I'm, I'm a big fan. It's just it needs to come down in price. It really does. Have you found yourself uh, having any problems with motion sickness? No. You're lucky. Not at all, which I did with the very first iteration of Oculus. Um, the very first time I tried it, I um, I got the, the demo on the Bethesda booth, um, and it was Doom 3 for VR. And I, I've made the crack over the years that VR must be amazing because it made Doom 3 playable and, enjoy, and enjoyable. <laughs> um, but it did make me motion sick. And this time around, I don't have any issues. And look, I mean, I, I'm on the, the specs now pretty much full time wearing the glasses and I can wear my glasses in there. No problem. Um, I really just, I really, really dig it. So I know you don't know markets as well as I do, but are you surprised mm. at all to hear that that's kind of what he's into? A little bit. I mean, uh, he's enough of a curmudgeon that I would have thought him <laughs> to be way more skeptical. Right. And I mean, I agree. And I remember when he was on this show before and like he would, you know, he also said then VR is the future and yeah. I agree that VR is the future. I just don't know if it's the future yet. Yeah, you know what I mean. I mean, we've talked about this before with the Vive and PSVR, where it's like, um, one day, yes, this is going to get there. Yeah. I don't know if it's this generation. Well, I mean, he's not even talking about it in this in this context about it being the future. This right. is he's, what he's he thinks is now. Right now. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, it's good. I mean, I, I think it's. Uh, I think his main the main takeaway there is it's still too expensive. Yeah. Uh, for what it is, and. Um, uh, I think, Even with the price drops, it just... I think, I mean, now it's just sl- only a slightly ridiculous expensive yeah. <laughs> thing. You know, it's like... Um, we are kind of getting into a pricing war here, though. Yeah, it is interesting. I mean, I do... I have had three people I know get a PS- PSVR this week. Wow. So the price drop put a few people over the fence, definitely. Yeah. Um, there's, in, there's definitely interest there. The other thing I'm keeping my eye on is uh, uh, the new Star Wars lightsaber training thing they announced uh, on Force Friday 2 on the, September 1st, which is it's a little it's a it's 200 bucks. It's a headset that you put your any phone in, and then you have uh, like an actual lightsaber handle, and you go in and and it, basically you fight. Uh, you train with the lightsaber, and you can also fight various characters from the Star Wars movies. Um, and people tried it, I think, at Dragon Con, were basically saying, like, yeah, it's, it's legit. It's wow. pretty good. And uh, I think that's one of the ways you're going to start seeing it, start to make some inroads, because 200 bucks is a lot of money for a thing like that. But it it's is. still, people spend 150 bucks on those stupid little BB-8 things. Uh, I did. Apparently Marcus did, because there's yeah. one behind <laughs> him in that it, shot. Yeah. Um, and if you can do that again, um, it's like... If you can do that again and get these cheaper ones into people's homes and they experience it as a good thing that everybody likes and they find worth the money, that's how you get more expensive and it's higher quality. It's a Trojan horse. Space. You Trojan horse it in. So I'll keep an eye on that. Um, but, I mean, he's right. It, it, and it's also, the, the, uh, there's, there's a hunger for it, I think, because at PAX this past weekend... Uh, the line to try Bethesda's VR stuff was three and a half hours long. Do you think I mean, people that... want it. They just a lot of people just can't afford it. But do you think the re- and look, it was the same way at E3. Yeah. The line for Bethesda's VR was insane. Mm-hmm. But do you think that might be just because people know they're never going to buy VR, and so they want to experience? I mean, it that might for be free? part of it. But I mean, 
that's dangerous because I, that was my attitude when I tried it at A3 a couple years ago and I came out of that after playing Star Trek Bridge Crew and a couple other things being like, I need this. Yeah. Like if you go in there and you love it, there's nothing like convincing you that maybe it's not that expensive than having those experiences. Um, so yeah, I mean, go ahead and wait three hours in line for it if, you, if you're like, oh, so this is my only chance to ever play it. But like, I warn you, you might walk out Feeling like maybe it's not <laughs> that because it's a it's a it can Which be a isn't powerful a bad experience. Thing. I mean, people I think shouldn't feel it, guilty right. for. But I can think that's what a part of what Marcus is saying is like you know uh, especially uh, near the tail end of his time here, uh, he seemed very disillusioned with the sameness everything. of everything. <laughs> and um, I yeah. think VR even yeah, you know, and I don't get that way about you know I still enjoy the same thing over and over again yeah. except unless you're Agents of Mayhem. Um, but like one of the things I like about VR is it gives me things I've never. Pl- I think you know Adam's right, uh, and a couple other people I've heard, and I say it too that it's a different medium. It's not it a video. Game. It's not just another way of playing video games. It's a different medium in the way games are different from TV or movies. And and uh, I don't think it, someone will get that until they own yeah. an HMD. Yeah, it's it's hard to get your mind around that idea because early on it just it feels like saying that 3D movies aren't the same as movies. But it's well, not that. It's a totally different approach. Well, people watch the trailers on Sifted or YouTube right. or whatever, and all the trailers are in 2D, so the games look the same. But They don't look you, very good. Yeah, you know. you're right. I mean, they look like a last-gen game in a lot mm-hmm. of cases, and so it's you're not getting the immersion from it. And that is the difference maker yeah. for VR. So... It, that's the tough sell yeah. for VR, though. It's you can't all, convey yeah. it without somebody. And it's just the doing hardest it. thing is like how you know, the simplest thing done well in VR can be enthralling. Yeah. In a way that just playing a 2D normal game uh, with that boring. same mechanic would be boring. Yeah. Um, and it's just it's one. It's like I've said. I think from pretty much from the beginning is like you have to get people to try this. You have to set it up in kiosks. You We've have been to, saying that a long time. You have to set it up in, yeah. in arcades. It has to be something someone someone can go and try and experience and say, I want that whenever I I want to play it. I want it to be in my home. I'll say this. I was just in Las Vegas a few weekends ago, and there were VR stores mm-hmm. everywhere, and they'd have three or four chairs out in front of the store, and people could sit down and try VR. Um, and they weren't even selling it there. It was like you paid X right. amount of dollars to do it for thirty minutes or yeah, whatever. Yeah, I think so. that's probably the, I think that's probably the next vape shop. Yeah, is is VR <laughs> arcade kind of things. Yeah. and I say that both in the sense that there's I think you're going to see explosive growth, and then you're going to see them just collapse, just dissolve like, like and a plan in a cupboard. Yes, yeah. uh, uh, you're right. But I would say that's probably going to be the next like flash in the pan retail experience is is VR. Like pay by the hour or something, kind of like, like, like PC cafe. Kind and then of you thing. have like group things where you all go together and team oh, yeah. building. Can't wait for the Groupon, boys. <laughs> it's going to be great. <laughs> all right. Now that we've caught up with Adam and Marcus as far as what they're into right now, uh, it's time to take at least a half step into the future and talk about Xbox One X. And the first thing I wanted to ask both of them was are they just going to buy it? Let's hear from Adam. Um, assuming I have the available income, yes. <laughs> I, I, I have a 4K TV. Um, I do kind of enjoy things looking really, really sharp. Um, yeah, I, I, I also like this idea of the iteration. What I'm looking forward to is the period of time where we really start to treat them more like an Apple device or, or an Android device, where you don't plan on getting every iteration. You probably plan on getting every other or maybe every third. That, you know, it's just, once again, it's like, I'm ready to upgrade and you upgrade into something. 
and you're not just creating, you know, starting this massive reset. Where once again, like a game like the original Destiny, that had to serve both worlds, both the PS3 and the PS4. And I think the game did suffer as a result of it. You just take a look at sort of how Destiny 2 looks, and it's, been, it's benefiting that, that it's like kind of, it's, it's designing for just one battlefield, not two. Adam, do you see an issue? The, the PlayStation 4 Pro, which was kind of the first example of this, has not sold especially well. It's being outsold by the base PS4, several multitudes. Um, do you think consumers are ready for this? Um, I mean, you look at the business model of an Apple or a Samsung, where it's kind of used to saying, okay, well, we're putting out the iPhone 7, and it's we don't expect it to sell as well as the iPhone 6. That business is kind of used to that cyclical pattern where it's like, okay, we release this one that's kind of the landmark release, and then we do iterations. Do you think the console market is ready to adapt to that from the business perspective and also from the consumer's perspective? I, I, I do think so. I mean, I would at the moment look at the PS4 Pro as something of a loss leader. It helped prime the consumer for the idea that this is what we're going to do. I mean, there still aren't that many 4K sets out there. And I think most people can see through the rhetoric that, you know, if you only can do 1080p, this really isn't that necessary a device for you. It really only starts to show its benefits if you have a screen that can do a higher resolution. But it started to put into people's minds, hey, 4K is becoming the standard. And that somewhere down the line, as we see the prices drop on the TV, with the purchase of that TV, will then come the purchase of, be it the Xbox One X or the PS4 Pro. I think it's, it's, it's I, I, I don't know if Sony really expected it to explode, I think over time it will start to grow. There is the flip side that maybe, I, I thought Microsoft's strategy with Xbox One X by kind of announcing it, you know, the same year that the PS4 Pro was coming out was a good way to kind of say there's something even more powerful down the line that could be eating into the sales. I, I, I don't know, but I've heard tales that the Xbox One X is pre-selling quite well. So that could be happening. I, I, it's, I'm, I'm a little bit unclear, but I think we're doing the right thing starting early and not judge it on the initial sales because I think we'll start to see the benefits in the next year and probably the year after that. Do you think that consumers might be scared because they know that there might be a bigger step coming on down the line? Getting these iterative consoles, do you think consumers might say, hey, well, I'm just going to wait till the PlayStation 5 or the, X the Xbox 2? No, and I think that's really fair. I think one of the things that both Sony and Microsoft would really benefit from is to say like, hey, we have put our flag in the ground and we're not going to do that massive overhaul where there will be games that cannot play on a piece of tech. What I think will happen over time is, I mean, I know they probably, neither of these companies love making hardware. It's a dicey, dicey thing to do. Software is much easier to make money on than hardware. So they would love to probably sit with these new consoles for as long as possible. But let's say there is the Xbox One Zero or something like that. That were that to come, then probably the Xbox One S will sort of fade out. Just the same way we start to see you know, stuff at the low end kind of quietly doesn't really work with the new software. Um, I, that, that's a tough thing for them to say right now, but I think if they could at least say, hey, we're not gonna do a hard reset that's gonna you know, pretty much make your current technology and current spend obsolete, that would do, I think, a lot. I think, unfortunately, the core can get, they, they just get so upset with any form of change. I've always said that like core gamers are really like, say an 85 year old grandma on Medicare who's suddenly seeing her plan shift. Um, it's like that level of fear. But I think some clearer messaging about 
what the business model is turning into, I think would do a lot to persuade those fears and get people to feel more comfortable dropping, you know, another four hundred, five hundred dollars. Matt, do you ever see that happening? Do you ever see Sony or Microsoft saying, "Hey, with PS5 or Xbox Two or whatever the hell it's called, mm-hmm. um, it will play these games that are coming out for Xbox One X or PS4 Pro." I think so. Yeah, I think that's the the I you know we've talked about how it's kind of going to the cell phone. Yeah, he, he was, yeah. that's what his sort and, of uh, was. Yeah, I think pretty much everyone who pays attention to the industry is thinking the same thing. Like, the P- the PS5 is still going to play PS4 Pro games. The PS4 Pro is still going to probably be able to play PS5 games, just less, you know, just like just like the same thing. It's going to be, it's just going to, you're just going to move the bracket up. But do you, I guess my point was, do you think they're going to say that? Because wouldn't that kind of discourage people from buying Xbox One X and PS4 Pro? I mean, I don't think it would be in the commercials. Right. You know, but I'm sure they'd say something at like the, the you know, the E3 press conference. It's a catch-22, right? Because right. Adam brought that idea up to answer my question of, are people not going to want to upgrade because they're waiting for the PS5 mm. or the Xbox 2? But you can also look at look at it the other way. Yeah, I mean, I think it. You got to make it the desirable new thing, and I don't think they've hit that yet. Either PlayStation Four Pro or Xbox One X. I don't think they're. I don't think they're at the point where like, you know, like we're about to probably see a new iPhone. The iPhone iPhone Eight is probably going to pop up, and that you know is going to have some features and some things that the iPhone Seven and Six can't do, and they're going to try to tempt you into upgrading to this rumored thousand dollar phone. Yeah. And, like, what's that going to be? What's that going to be to compel people to, like, I need that to be my new phone? Like, there's there's nothing quite there in the Xbox One X, the PS4 Pro, that I think appeals to anyone beyond people like us who just are obsessed with getting the best performance and experience out of an individual game. I think the mainstream audience will look at the difference and kind of be like, I can live with this in exchange for keeping $500 in my wallet, you know? Um, so whatever that is that makes the PS5 the PS5, it better be damn good. Doesn't the messaging get murky, though, too? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I mean, but in this, I, I think Adam's right in that you just have to create this comfort zone where you don't feel like you're abandoning this library and this system that you've invested all this time and money into. And you, you know, even if even though we've compa- been doing that our entire lives, yeah. But I mean, <laughs> you know, look at what Xbox One's doing with all this backwards compatibility, and you know, the the 60 gigabyte PlayStation 3 that is natively hardware backwards compatible to the PlayStation 2 still goes for four five hundred dollars right. on eBay. I mean, there is an audience that cares about that, and that audience tends to be the early adopters and if the early adopters don't accept your product you're going to run into trouble which microsoft learned this time around for sure yep well let's hear what uh marcus had to say about xbox one x well um the xbox one that i had that i got sent at launch back in the days when i was somebody in this industry and <laughs> had a you know You'll a always TV be segment. someone in this industry i'm, I'm like something um, no, when I when I had the MVC segment, I, I got the the launch PS4, which is ticking along nicely, thank you. And I got a launch Xbox One, and it turns out that Xbox Ones do not like cats vomiting into their fans. <laughs> Our oldest cat, CJ, who is nineteen, she's obviously a Sony fan cat. Um, I caught, I basically. It was uh, the the Xbox One was in our living room before I read it. You know, redid the office because we were using it as a DVD player and everything else. And I heard her retching, and I went to to see, and she was sitting on top, 
of the Xbox One because it's nice and warm. And she threw up all the way into it. And I just, because it was in low power <laughs> mode. And I just hit her. That's it. Okay. That's done. And I didn't, I'll be honest with you. I mean, I had more PS4 games than I had uh, Xbox One games. Yeah. And when I saw what they were doing with Scorpio, um, I, you know, that to me, it'll be, you know, the next individual iteration. I mean, it's it's like nowadays where you get an iPhone 5 or an iPhone 6 or a Galaxy 7 or a Galaxy 9. I mean, you know, you just jump in between. So this one, you know, this hopefully will, will last me a little while. Crackdown. I want my Crackdown next year. Um, you know, and now I've got with a PS4. It's not a pro. It's a PS4 and it's the PSVR and that's taken care of on that side. And now, you know, the, the next one's a little step up as well. And I want those Microsoft games back in my life. I can still play them on the PC, thankfully, with Windows, you know, Windows 10. But there's something to be said about, you know, the console stretching out on the on the couch, having it on the big jumbo TV. So, yeah, um, that's why that's why I did it. I'm, you know, they just need to get their asses in gear and get that frigging crackdown game out. Doesn't seem like Marcus had much of a reason for buying Xbox One X well, other, other than, than his cat yeah. puking in his old Xbox. That's a fine reason. It know. is, yes. <laughs> it's a fine reason to get anything, really, if, if your cat puked on the previous one. Yeah. Um, you would hope they don't puke on something so expensive. But, right. Um, I mean, I'll buy that, sure. Uh, I don't have one pre-ordered. I don't either. Uh, I don't. I'm gonna basically wait and see on this one. Like if they, if it comes back with like reports that like oh wow like backwards compatibility 360 games are amazing on this. It makes them look better. It makes them run better. Like I might think about it because I like my 360 library a lot more than I like my Xbox One library. For sure. I mean I think the only thing that would tip the scales for me is and I know they will never do this because it goes against everything Microsoft is trying to do right now. But I think the only thing that would tip the scales for me is if they said hey. Here are these awesome games you can only play right. on Xbox One X. I mean... They got Crackdown. I <laughs> feel like that's not going to work on you, though. I mean, I hate to say it, but, <laughs> you know, kind of the whole idea now is there's no such thing as backwards compatibility. It's just all compatible mm-hmm. now. And to me, that's keeping me from buying Yeah, well, sadly, like, I think like one of the things I'm most interested in on the Xbox One X, and like I don't think it's exclusive to Xbox One X. I think it'll be on... Uh, the normal one too is the original Xbox. Like, I like to play Jet Set Radio Future yeah. again. Like, but it's like one of the things that has me most interested in your current console is that I can play a 16-year-old game on it again. Yeah, and that seems that's sad. Like a problem. <laughs> that's a big-time problem. It's not something anyone's going to spend $500 on. But I might turn my existing one on again to do that. Yeah, I mean, I'm basically saying, Microsoft, I know you're bribing me. But go ahead and bribe me, and then I'll buy your new mm-hmm. console. Because that's what it is. When you're taking games and saying, you need to invest X amount of dollars in this hardware to play this piece of software, it's essentially a bribe. But I'm okay with that. I mean, that's what would get me to ultimately spend the money on Scorpio, mm-hmm. because I, my entire library is on PS4 from this era. Same. And, I mean, I have, you know, it's kind of flip-flopped. Now the only games I have for Xbox One are the exclusives for Microsoft, which transitions nicely into the next question, which is, what the hell is going on at Microsoft Game Studios? Uh, mm. What's up with the exclusives? Or, for, or lack thereof. Or lack thereof uh, for Microsoft. Let's hear from uh, Adam. I mean, it's, it's, it's tough. Uh, you know, it's not like I don't like the games that are Xbox exclusives. I'm fine with Gears. I'm fine with Halo. But they're kind of 
games that are in the same vernacular, just these straight action games. Whereas you, you do look at stuff that Sony has, especially like Horizon Zero Dawn, which just, that game rubbed my belly in ways I can't. <laughs> so good. Yeah. That thing, and, and, and once again, this kind of goes back to that sense of being a lost leader. Is I think, you know, I think a lot of people were skeptical if Horizon was going to find an audience. It did. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, even if it didn't, it gives Sony really good definition as to what the brand means. And that's where I think Microsoft is sort of struggling. It's like core shooters and Forza. That's a fairly narrow lane of appeal. It's really, it's young men. Or slightly older men as well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and it doesn't, it, it doesn't generate, I think, the same level of excitement when you kind of look at you know, all the chances that Sony's going to take, be it good or ill. I mean, they have David Cage. Say what you will about David Cage. There is, you know, you, you don't see Microsoft or even Nintendo willing to invest on something that's kind of that niche or that oddball and something like that that, that creates that much controversy. Do you think it's more than just a, a stylistic issue, though, or a quality issue? Isn't it really just quantity for Microsoft? I mean, isn't yes. that really the, the core issue for Microsoft right now? I mean, I, I, I think so. I mean, the problem is they had a piece of hardware that was $100 more than another one uh, you know, when, when, when both launched. And I think you and I, I think, Shane, you once articulated this perfectly, is, you know, back when Call of Duty was at its height, it was so important to hardware sales because the first guy in the group of friends to play Call of Duty, whatever he bought, that was going to dictate what everyone else bought. And it tends to be this kind of exponential growth. And I think we're seeing that once again with Microsoft and Sony, is it came in cheaper. For Europe, it was FIFA, you know, it was, I, I don't, would you say that Call of Duty was still the big thing when the PS4 launched? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, right. I was, and, then, and then once again, it just, you know, it was cheaper, so one guy in the group chose to get it, and just it just kind of blossomed like that. Um, obviously, as I've said, like the Xbox One X isn't gonna be the hard reset, but there could be that kind of, that, 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 that gravity. The, the one thing I would say about the necessity of exclusives is for people like you and me, it's very, very important for that much broader consumer. Once again, kind of the Call of Duty, the Grand Theft Auto, Madden, and maybe one or two other games in the course of a year. They may not even realize right. that you know this is an exclusive only to this system. They're just getting the games that are available. I, I, I think you know when it really comes down to what's going to move the hardware for the mass, mass audience, it really is sort of price and what my friends are playing. Yeah, um, and then you start thinking about, you know, kind of circling back around to Call of Duty. Um, it, it's kind of been a big deal over the last decade or so. Who got the DLC for Call of Duty first? And last generation, Microsoft got it first on 360. Now that deal has swung over to Sony. Sony's getting that DLC first. And this is also to your point about how multi-platform games tend to matter more to the average consumer than they do to the core guys like us. With these iterative consoles, what kind of opportunity does Microsoft really have to start getting those exclusive deals back on its side, though? I mean, it's money. That's what I think. Yeah. <laughs> no one's ever cutting these deals out of beneficence or some sort of interest. You know, they, they see the money, they see the opportunity. Obviously, if they see the larger install base, that means that that DLC is going to be, you know, more remunerative for, for them. Um, I think you know a mixture of money and maybe the Xbox One X once again does tend to just bring in that many more. I mean, I, I think that's that that's really the only way. I, I think it was uh, remember Jeff Brown over at EA. Yeah, yeah. I once asked him. I think it was when Crisis Three was coming out, and they were like there was that very short period of time 
when there were 3D games in the wake yeah. of Avatar. Yeah. And I was, you know, I pulled them aside. This was on the record. And I was like, you know, are you, you know, what's what's the thinking with, with, with this? I mean, are you guys really making a big foray into 3D? And he's like, no, we're only going to do a 3D game if there's money attached. And there was obviously money from a TV manufacturer, you know, because the TV industry was trying to figure out how to sell more TVs because everyone had their, you know, their, their, their plasma 1080p. That it, 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 Once again, almost all of this is driven by economics. Not necessarily cynical economics, but they're never going to do something out of, well, good intentions without money attached. Do you believe that, Matt? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No oh, question yeah. whatsoever. <laughs> it's always all about money. Oh yeah, and uh, you know, it's what do you think all this HDR stuff is about? Yeah, you know, it's, like, it's, it's. I mean, it does make it look better, but it's also kind of a cheat, you know. And mm-hmm. the thing is, like, do you agree with Adam that the average consumer doesn't really know much about exclusives? Yes. Really? Um, judging by the people I know who are gamers, but not like follow the industry kind of gamers, like I'm constantly saying, "Oh, I played this." This Bloodborne thing, I want to get it, but I can't find it. I'm like, well, you don't own a PS4, and like they, you know, they don't. No, I look. I game like Bloodborne, I get it. There are core gamers who probably don't realize Bloodborne was a PS4 exclusive. But I'm talking about stuff like Halo, Gears of War, Forza. I think most people that at least play games moderately know. Most people you know can Halo only get is those. Xbox. Can only get those on Xbox. Yeah, Halo, I think. I think Gears of War is a, is a very forgotten series at this point. And uh, Forza, I think Forza is just known kind of as Xbox car game. Like, I don't, a lot of people don't <laughs> know its name, but yeah. they're just like, oh, I have a racing game on Xbox. I guess it's that. You know, it, it's, it's like, there, there's no brand loyalty to Forza, it seems, outside of car fanatics. Like, but people just want to play a driving game. If they have an Xbox, they get Forza. If they have a PS- PlayStation, they get Gran Turismo eventually one day if they ever release one. Um, it doesn't seem to move hardware in the same way that like I kind of. That's the question. Is like so clearly PS4 won in the hardware motion, and it, you know it's tempting as uh, as Adam said before. It's tempting to say it was a hundred bucks cheaper. Yeah, that's all it was. Like, well, if, like you, you, if you didn't to... force that stupid Connect in there and you charge a hundred bucks less. You know, and there's funny. and there's a lot of talk that like you know, from industry people who were there involved in in those early like Microsoft or uh, X, Sony was ready to to lowball the I think Pactor said that too like yeah. Sony was ready to take a loss on the PlayStation Four to undercut Microsoft's price point but then Microsoft came out and was like five hundred bucks and they're like oh okay we like, don't have to they yeah. don't have to do that so I think the thing that really damaged Microsoft the most. Uh, in the short term at launch was the fact that they thought the Connect was still a thing. Yeah. And they but packaged really, the $100 Connect in there and you couldn't didn't have a choice, really. Adam hit the nail on the head, though. It's because it was $100 more. Yeah. If they had just taken the loss on $100, bucks, like, that's mm-hmm. a case where always hindsight's always 2020. Yeah. But this is a case where you can see where if Microsoft had just priced mm-hmm. exactly at the PS4's price... I don't know if it would have won this generation, but it wouldn't have been the massacre. It, turned it wouldn't out to have be. been two to one, yeah. which is basically where we're sitting right now. Yeah, and I think you know, the, I remember at the time, uh, even that day of the press conferences, uh, a bunch of us would walk out of each one of those press conferences, especially at the end of the day after Sony did their mic drop on the on the the DRM thing. Yeah, um, I remember uh, everyone just saying like. 
Microsoft just did, fell for the same hubris that Sony did the previous. You know, like yeah. so, Sony. Sony thought they were invincible going into the PS3, and they blew it. And Microsoft took tremendous advantage of it. And then Microsoft did the same <laughs> damn thing. Like they thought That's they funny. were bulletproof, and yeah. they weren't. No one's ever bulletproof in this industry. That's... Not not on a hardware level. Like like yeah. people will go to the best deal and the games they want every time. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I also don't think it helps that uh, the Halo games this generation have been underwhelming. Uh, it's not help. it's not a thing that pulls you over there. Meanwhile, you see, you're seeing, I think, the on Twitter and a lot of social media, you're seeing the the hype and the furor around Destiny Two because it feels like Halo, it old does, Halo. Yeah. Right. It feels like it, it feels like Bungie's back. Yeah. And like people are freaking out about how great that is, and no one okay. cares what it's on ex- right. except what their friends are playing it on. But this goes back to what you were saying about how the average consumer doesn't know games as well as we as mm-hmm. we do. They do though. They know that Bungie made Halo, and they're mm-hmm. they know Bungie's making Destiny, and they're like, "Oh, Bungie's back in form, and now Destiny Two is awesome." So I think I think that all comes from Halo. The Halo being part one of, of the it. biggest games in yeah. history. Yeah, you're right. You know, like, but I still think Adam is maybe selling the average consumer a little short. I think they somewhat, know, but I th- I think he's not wrong for the most part when it comes to anything less than the 800 pound gorillas in the in the in the game title industry. Yeah. I think. Um, the sheer number of people who own PlayStation 4s and have for years that I've had to tell them about Horizon, yeah. even even in the last month. Like even people, though it's like Forza Horizon like yeah, even 20 the, at this point. <laughs> no, no, Horizon Zero Dawn. Oh, Horizon Zero Dawn. Like, they yeah. don't know what this is. It's sold very well. It's a, it's a big exclusive. It's it's on the front of PSN on a regular basis. It's a basis. new IP. Yeah, but like they don't know it exists. And it's not that, like, oh, I didn't know what that was. I didn't want to try it. I didn't want to pay 60 bucks. They're like, why? What is it? Like, they had yeah. no idea it, was, Never heard it existed. Of it. Yeah. So I, I've told them to get it. And every single time I tell someone to get it, they come back like, oh, thanks, thanks for telling me to play yeah. that because it was amazing. But it's just like, you know, I guess it's kind of like movies where you, 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 you pay attention to the stuff you know, and it's hard to kind of find the stuff you don't know if you're not really digging into those sites every day, if you're not looking at Sifted every day. Yeah, that's where marketing comes in. Yeah. That's where Sony and Microsoft... Spending their money wisely, mm-hmm. advertising in the right places at the right time. But I think the problem comes from exactly what Adam said about the narrow lane that Microsoft is driving, where you can market Halo and Gears of War and Forza as much as you want, but you're, there's still a segment of the audience you're going to reach and a segment of the audience you're never going to reach. Yeah. And you're not going to be able to expand when all you have are two shooters and a driving game. Yep. And I mean, not to be cynical, but I don't think Sea of Thieves is going to help that equation much. You want to talk about a game that the casual doesn't know about? Yeah, I don't even know. I still don't quite know what the hell that. I mean, but they don't even know it exists. So right, but it's like you see, you know, it's five thousand developer diaries, and I'm still kind of looking at it like, I don't know. I don't know what if do I, I want to. Do? It, like it, it looks fun, but I don't. Hmm. And it's it's and then of course you run into the problem of the fact that you know I can play all these games on like PC. Yeah. And they look, you know, I, I played a little bit of ReCore, the definitive edition, and damn, that looks better on the PC than yeah, it does on the Xbox One. And it's like, you know, when it comes down, it's like, oh, don't you want to play that on your stretch out on your couch and do that? It's like, yeah, but like, I can also just Steambox it to my right. com- my TV, and it looks better because it's a 4K TV. If you have right. a 4K TV with running in 4K, because that's the other thing about those Xbox One games on Windows 10, they all run like demons like yeah. they, they optimize them real well like forza has everything maxed and looks gorgeous and never stutters ever once meanwhile i can't run mafia 3 at like 1080p on that thing because the, the shaders are weird so like this i mean microsoft's almost shooting them in the foot with me my case in particular is like 
they're not giving me any reason to stop playing my PC and play these games I don't on think Xbox. They, I don't think they care. I don't think they want to. I don't think to, they're yeah. after that. I think they're fine with you playing games on Windows 10. Also, talking about Sea of Thieves, that kind of goes back to the earlier discussion about asymmetrical games and mm-hmm. how you're... Your kind of your fun is kind of a reliant upon other players. Right. That like, is a lot of my skepticism of that game. Is like I don't know. If, I mean, that is really cool. Yeah, like if you're if people you're playing with don't know what you're doing, like it doesn't work. Yeah, like you're all gonna die. Yeah, well, people are gonna board your ship and right. take all your stuff. <laughs> and like, it's just I don't know. I mean, I feel like I would have been super into that ten years ago. Yeah, but I don't know if I have I don't know if I have the peeps. Yeah, to to dedicate to that now. Yeah, I mean, my friends list are it's still pretty good on both consoles. I have a lot of people on Xbox all the time. Every time I lo- load up the Xbox One, even recently, it's there's like, I've got 10, 15 people, but they're all watching TV and you Netflix. Know, it's hard. To, it's also just hard to get people to say, "Yeah, I want to play that game right now." At the same time, yeah. or either. every Tuesday at eight right. p.m. We're Forget gonna, it. Yeah. As you get older, people have kids and responsibilities and stuff like that. So, and I, I don't even feel like I'm. You know, I hate committing to like groups about that too, because like sometimes like I don't feel like playing that tonight. No, you're right. And then it's a job, and then I don't like it. Then I yeah. resent it, and then I don't want to play. And then I don't like everybody I'm playing with, and then it becomes a whole thing. And All that's right. why I play single player games. Yeah. Well, we know Marcus really doesn't like anything. <laughs> I mean, it's true. I mean, remember, he hates Nintendo. Mm-hmm. For sure, um, and generally well, he hates Nintendo so much as he just is sick of their bullshit. That which, could be. Uh, well, I'm right there with him. Yeah, so. he doesn't seem to like their games very much. But uh, what does he have to say about Microsoft's exclusives? I think Microsoft have Microsoft has sat on their they sat on their laurels for a long time. They had the lead with uh, with um, Xbox 360, and we all discussed this that. 360 came out the gate and killed PS3 at the beginning, but uh, you know Sony learned from it, um, and that's why they dominated with with the start of PS4. Everything they did was the right move, and they locked down the exclusives, and they didn't overpromise and underdeliver. Whereas Microsoft, we know they they had the stigma of Connect, they had the stigma of wanting to be this one hub box, um, which is not why somebody's going to buy a $500 console. And we've said this before in the you know. Numerous shows, both on game trailers and you know every on every friggin' network going. Um, Microsoft, I think, are learning. I thought their E3 press conference was pretty strong. Um, I think everybody had had E3 a strong E3 press conference. I think this year is going to be good. Um, but yeah, I I think that they had they just had to pull their fingers out, and the fact that they've stopped making the Xbox One. Uh, they confirmed that this week, didn't they? That they, they, did, they, yeah. they just made the very last Xbox One, which is fine. Well, actually, they confirmed uh, that they had stopped making the original Xbox when the Xbox One S launched. Yesterday, they announced that. Okay. So I, they've I remember, actually I stopped producing it months and months ago, and nobody yeah. knew. Well, again, no. I mean, there's no need to, to make those those older versions. I mean, if only they can just turn back time now and drop Connect down a toilet. Yeah. Because um, <laughs> that's, you know... I'm looking forward to having a console that doesn't need freaking connect. I mean, ironically, the, you know, Microsoft, uh, sorry, Sony have come through with something that you need a camera for. Yeah. In the VR. So if connect worked with a VR uh, thing, it would be become totally viable. Marcus is over the moon over VR. Yeah. We asked him a question there about Microsoft exclusives, and he was still focused on hardware. Mm-hmm. Um. Well, because there's not much else to talk about. There is unless you yeah. want to get into like, the telling. things they've canceled. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, like I, I, I think 
while I don't think it would move tons of systems, I think like having Scalebound and some sort of form of Fable there, be it Fable Legends or something they could salvage that game into. Yeah. Another asymmetrical multiplayer thing. No, you're right. Yeah. Um, like I feel like that would at least make the, the 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 exclusive lineup feel a little more textured, even if like I wasn't ready to jump on Fable Legends or whatever. But like, or, or if Scalebound was mediocre, but it would feel less like the system was aiming at like your standard Xbox fanboy who doesn't care that it's the same thing over and over again. Because um, I'm, I mean, I actually enjoyed going through some old Gears of War games and playing them uh, for for some capture I had to do recently. Um, but that doesn't mean I want to play more and more and more. And I, you know, I didn't go back to Gears Four. Like Gears Four didn't really grab me. You never finished Gears Four? No. Wow. Um, it's just the same thing I'd already done, and not new as weapons and a couple of new tweaks yeah, here and there. It just didn't. Yeah, you know, I have finished all the Halo games. Uh, I guess because maybe they're shorter, or maybe they don't feel as long. Because you can sort of beeline them a little bit. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like they just don't excite me. They don't. I, I don't trust them. You know, and it's and, and I think like Destiny Two hasn't helped them in that regard because playing Destiny Two the last day or so um, reminds me of how much I enjoyed those old Halo games and how they really kind of had a a, a rhythm and a and a, an organic feeling to them that they've lost. Yeah, and uh, it's a sh- it's just not there anymore. And what Sony's doing is more interesting to me now. Yeah, I think. Um... With both those franchises moving to new developers, Gears and Halo, mm-hmm. it's like they took a picture of the old games and then tried to paint the picture. Yeah. But they didn't, you can't get the heart and the soul of the games that way. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what's been missing from both those franchises. Yeah. For I'd say more Halo than Gears. I mean, Gears, Gears it feels pretty close. I just feel like that's my problem more than anything yeah. else. But Halo, I feel like it's missing. Like, like you said, I think it's missing its soul. Like yeah. you said, it's just whatever they, whatever made those previous Halo games special, whatever made all the way up to Reach. Well, it's like they it's went back there. and they played an old Halo game, and then they made a list and they said it has this and it has this mm-hmm. and it has this, and then they created the new one and they're like, it's got that, it's got that, it's got that. Lacking the intangibles, though, mm-hmm. is the problem. Because so. I'd be pretty excited for, you know, maybe if, if Halo... Again, I think they missed the boat by not showing Halo 6. Maybe Halo 6 is two years out, yeah. and, and it doesn't matter. Um, but if you had me looking at, like, this is what Halo 6 looks on this thing, and it looks amazing, and it looks like you got the, you know, got the, the mojo back, I'd be way more inclined. I mean, obviously, you wouldn't need to buy one at launch. The but problem but is at least I'd be thinking about it down the line, and right now it's not in, in the equation. That's the big problem, though. You can never tell if the mojo is there mm-hmm. until you play it. Like, even just pl- even playing a 15, 20-minute demo at E3 or wherever, mm-hmm. that's still not really enough. Well, to... even like with, like with Halo 5, it didn't even matter because the, the promos they ran had nothing to do with the game. Yeah, you're right. The whole th- <laughs> the lock versus Master Chief thing, like, that wasn't yeah, a thing. It really was like, None of that happened. It, so. it kind of was. I mean, there was a little rivalry. Well, Locke was chasing him. Yeah, yeah. There was that one scene. Right. But like, you know, the, the, they made it they seem made like it seem the whole like, game yeah. was about that. Yeah. And it just wasn't there. Yeah. And there was nothing else there was the problem. It was just the same story about, oh, maybe Cortana's crazy now. That's right. been there. That's been hinted at since three. Yeah. You know, it's just like, get on with it. Yeah. Like, is, what is this? What is this? Game of Thrones? Like, move on. Like, that's Good the one. problem is Halo, Halo is in their season four. 
yeah. of Ga- Game of Thrones right now, and they got to move past the books and just go crazy no, you're in right. Halo 6. That's a good analogy. I like that. Um, obviously, anytime you get a ch- get the chance to talk to a couple people like Marcus and Adam, who have been in the industry for, I think Marcus has been in the industry longer than I have, because um, mm-hmm. he, he did PR for a long time and did a bunch of other stuff in Europe before he ever came over to the States. Um, Adam's been in it for almost two decades. I think when you talk to people that have that kind of experience and that breadth of experience, you want to know where... You want to know where the, what they think the next big thing is, mm-hmm. what the next frontier is. Um, and I think this is one of the most important questions I ask these guys. What is next? What is the next frontier? Is VR the next frontier? Let's hear from Marcus. I think it is when it gets cheaper. I think VR is not going to go away. Um, we've seen some experiments, Google Glass, HoloLens. Um, we know that we are years away from having a full projection room. You know, like Microsoft and a couple of others have been been right. going on about. I think on the tech side, that's where we will go because the the PCs are getting more powerful. And you know, when people start getting the the PCs, another the consoles are basically glorified PCs anyway. Yeah. Um, I still think that that is the long term goal for the industry for immersion because you can't beat it when it can take a tired platform genre. And invigorate it just from this just different angle. Yeah. What could it do for, you know, um, No Man's Sky, for Fallout, for you know any you know the the Batman game was kind of limited but still really really fun because it's that novelty. And when people start taking advantage of it and actually evolving beyond the novelty and putting that framework together with multiplayer like they do with with the Star Trek Bridge Commander um, game, that sort of level of fun is just great. Where that's where I would like to see the industry go on the tech side. Where do you think it's really going, though? I think we're going to be stuck in a League of Legends, Dota, uh, Overwatch hell. (laughs) (laughs) Do you agree with him? I guess he's not a fan of Overwatch. No. Um, (laughs) I mean, he's probably not wrong in that we're going to be treading water in. Yeah, you know, whether you think it's a good thing or not, I guess depends what how much you like character shooters and MOBAs. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I but I think you're starting to slowly see the VR developers put the pieces together and uh, make take these steps towards real games as opposed to sort of demo. Still stuff. no killer app though. No killer app, but like. It's. It, I mean. We should have had a killer app by now. Oh, I don't know about that. Like, really? It's, it's a new medium. It's, I mean, it's, look. The medium's like a year and a half old. When look you really at think 3D about gaming. It. There was a killer app, boom, right out of the gate. Yeah, well, motion control gaming. There was Wii Sports, absolutely. Killer app right out of the no, game. I hate that game, though. So the, Everybody the, else loves it. This is where you're different from everybody else. No, I think a lot of like hardcore gamers don't have a lot of use for Wii Sports, but like it was just a big hit. I loved Wii Sports. But, I had a um, blast with it. I mean, it was neat, but like I didn't need to play it for years, and I'm certainly never going to go back and play it again. Whereas I would, I would play a, a level of Super Mario 64 right now. Yeah, um, there's a difference there. And uh, yeah, the closest I, a killer a killer app for VR. I don't even know what that would be because there's so many varied experiences you could have. And the thing that you know, I mean, maybe some people would say one of Bethesda's things, but I don't think that's true. I don't think I don't, I don't think Fallout yeah. Four is what's going to do it. I don't think Doom is what's going to do it. I think Doom is mostly going to make people sick. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
So I don't know. I don't know. What, I'll, actually, I'll tell you what, what might have a good shot. And I, I mean, I'm, I'm biased in terms of the Star Wars stuff, but also because Star Wars is a very, very popular goddamn thing. Uh, you make X-Wing again in that perspective, especially if Ace Combat 7 idea. gets any tread on it. Uh, the cockpit stuff works real well. Um, I mean, even American American Truck Simulator works, works well in VR. I mean, and, and that's boring. Yeah. Um, but it's not boring, isn't it? It's weird. Um, that's basically all I think is like whatever that killer app is, you can't predict which which what's going to capture the imagination of of the of the mainstream public, which which is finally going to make them say like, oh, I got to spend money to do this. But I I could see flying an X-wing being it. Yeah. But EA's never going to try that. I so. think it's going to be something really simple. Yeah. I mean, you look at Wii Sports. It was a very yeah. simple game. It's going to have to be something that the average person can look at mm. and be like, that's awesome. Well, I it's have like, to do it's that. It's like Pokemon. Yeah. Like Pokemon is not a complex idea. It's really not. It's just, yeah. but it just works. It makes sense and it fits the platform. And earlier than that, there's a game that most people don't remember that sold a lot of Game Boys with Connect. Connect. You know, when they started doing the Connect cables... On the original Game Boy, yeah, uh, it was called Faceball 2000, mm. and uh, it was a multiplayer like you were in a maze, first person, and everybody was a smiley face, and you shot little b- bullets at each other through this maze, like, and running around shooting, and, it was, and you hooked up the Game Boys like a four-way connector thing, and you played four-player multiplayer like that, and it was huge, and all the magazines wrote about it, and this is amazing. And pe- I remember people buying like the connectors and stuff like that, and after a year, no one ever thought of it ever again. Yeah. Um, but it was that Big thing. But it was that thing that. And... But it was that thing that made you think, "Oh, look what this can do." Yeah. And then later on, you know, the real use of the Game Boy connector cable was Pokemon. Yep. Um, but that was the thing that kind of had the promise, and I think we're seeing a lot of Faceball 2000s right now. Yeah. Games that are like, oh, you play it, and you're like, oh, this is cool, this works, I, I want to be able to do this, but in 10 years, is anyone going to remember it? Probably not. I mean, that's already happen, happening with me with VR. I mean, mm-hmm. there are games when I play them the first time, they blow me away, and I'm like, wow, this is incredible. And then I never play them again unless somebody comes <laughs> over, and I'm showing them VR. Yeah, that happens. And uh, but there's things that I think stick with me. Like uh, I expect you to die. I think is really really clever, especially yeah. in the way that there's like seven or eight different ways to do every single level in that game. And sometimes you do them by accident, and you're like, oh, oh, that, okay, really yeah. cool. And like that's kind of the the uh, that sort of revelatory moment, which I think is really good that VR excels at, where you suddenly figure out you can do something you didn't think you could do. Which even goes all the way back to the, the Steam VR tutorial where you, where you they are having you like blow up balloons out of the out of the controllers, and then you realize you can tap the balloons. Right. And like it just all of a sudden it changes everything. Like, and, yeah. and so VR is all about that kind of a moment. But I think uh, I think the the most effective use of it, if you want to get a mainstream person in, at least in my experience, showing it to people. Um, is I tell you, once you put someone in that battle, Star Wars Battlefront VR thing they did for Ro- for Rogue One, where you fly the X-wing yeah. around, like people are living a dream when that happens. Like, and, and it's like the only reason that exists is because Lucasfilm threw marketing money at them and made and had them make it. EA is never going to make that on their own, and that's a shame because we're, that's what we're basically waiting for. And I don't think it's a coincidence. Also, you remember I mentioned that lightsaber training thing? Like they had to make that themselves because EA won't do VR stuff. Right. Yeah. So it's like. EA's been smart, though. I mean, I think EA's wise to not. Yeah, EA's wise not to risk the. In terms of being 
again, fiscally like, responsible, fiscally responsible especially yeah. to their shareholders, I think they made the right call. Yeah. As Adam said, everything comes back to economics. But in terms of like the thing that's going to take VR to the next level, that's going to make people say, "Oh, I need that." Like that could probably that could come in a familiar IP, and there's no. They're holding the IP. keys to they're it. They're holding, probably. yeah, they're holding yeah. the Star Wars license, and yeah. that's what it's going to take. Because uh, Star Trek didn't do it. Yeah. Star Trek could have done it. I think Bridge Crew is as good a Star Trek game as you're going to get. I mean, obviously you could make bigger and better and da da da. But that is brilliant. It is. And yeah. it's a, and it, no very, one cares. Uh, but again, very <laughs> simple idea though. Yeah. Yeah. Very simple. Very simple to play. Yeah. But as long as everybody's on the same page. Yeah. But like, and there, you can still play. I mean, there are still people playing regularly. It's yeah. not like it's hard to find a game. But I don't think they sold a million copies of no that. No way. Not like, even close. You know, it's it's not there. You need something that engages you immediately and makes you think, oh, okay, I get it, and and goes. But if I never I could, saw any marketing for that game either. No, not really. I mean, it's not worth it. Yeah. Your install base isn't big enough. But at what point does a publisher decide it is worth it, though? Because I think that's it's a yeah. chicken or egg scenario. Well, where I like, think, well, I th- the install base isn't big enough to market our games for it, but right. it, but it's never going to get big enough. Well, I think you're running you're running into the problem that like the reason like consoles and new hardware gets pushed properly is because the people making them need them to sell. Yeah. Like there's the, and they and those you know Sony and Microsoft and, and Nintendo all develop games for that. And you know there isn't really anything any equivalent of that in the in the uh, the VR headset stuff except for Sony and they're getting there but they're not quite there and they don't have the IP that would make people universally flock there I don't think. Um, meanwhile, like you know, who's going to make an exclusive for Vive and Wiley? I mean, nobody. No. <laughs> and now you know you, you can see kind of Valve sort of distancing themselves from HTC oh, in that yeah. little bit, and it's like you know because look, you want to you want to get those things into people's homes. Half-Life 3 exclusive to VR. Well, look, HTC is starting to distance itself from Vive. Yeah. It's talking about selling it, and now Palmer Lucky's jumping. Who knows? Let's hear from Adam. The dust is going to have to settle, basically. And I don't know where it's going to settle or what's going to make it settle, but I think you are right in that we haven't seen the killer app, and we haven't seen the game that's going to focus VR on what it needs to be yet. Yeah. It's everybody's just trying everything, and someday something's going to stick to the wall, but I don't have an idea what that'll be. If you do have that idea, you'll be very well. Yeah, I, I'm not going to be here. I've got to go do that. So you actually haven't seen these interviews that I've done no. with Marcus and Adam. Do you think Adam is going to say VR is the next frontier? Yes. Yes? I, th- I, think he'll, I don't think he'll dismiss it. Okay. Let's hear from him, Sam. Um, I think it's going to be a while before VR becomes the next frontier. I think, I really, I, I agree with you, Yoshida. I see VR as an entirely different medium. And that while games are played on VR, VR is almost like a phone. You know, I can play games on my phone, but my phone has a multitude of different uses. And I'm buying my phone primarily not for the games. I'm using it as a communication and information device. Um, I think where the future is, is the games platforms. I think the wild, crazy success of Battlegrounds uh, really speaks to that. That you know, a game could be this insanely popular as an early access game, um, and that you know, the, the 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 economic model of getting someone also um, uh, Overwatch, you know, just massively wildly successful, and that you get people playing the game, then you just kind of either sell or add in more content, and you keep them engaged over time. Um, you know, the the numbers on something like that are a lot better than. You know, throwing a bunch of money to just create number five of, of you know, of, of, of another franchise. I, I think that's where it's going. And it looks like finally the player base is very receptive to something like that. You know, just like they used to kind of 
congregate fanatically around a console. We're starting to see people fanatically congregate more around sort of a brand franchise like I've never seen before. Do you think that's overall good for the industry? Because if people are playing the same game for two and three years, we're seeing Grand Theft Auto V continue to be in the top 10 sales every month, years after its release. Do you think it's good for the industry? And do you think that that's something that will propagate innovation? Um, because obviously when there's less of the pie out there, the risk becomes bigger to try out new ideas and launch new IP. Um, do you think that these games as a service could create sort of this chasm between the haves and the have-nots? Um, there is a risk there. Uh, I think what it does mean is we might see even fewer major game releases in the course of a year. Uh, but what I do think is rather than having to play it so conservatively by having a new sequel every two years that felt barely distinguishable from the game, from, from the version of the game you just played, it now has, like, here you now have revenue coming in on a game for a couple of years that can slow down the development and allow for more innovation in either the sequel to that game or some other title out there. I, I think there's just as much a chance for something positive to come out of this as there is for something negative. Because obviously a company that's doing very well with a game could just sit there and rest on their laurels and just kind of generate revenue off of that one game they have. And you don't think that that will affect the output in general? Because one thing that's kind of been happening is game sales are going down. So if you look at GameStop's numbers, brick and mortar numbers, game sales are going down, but revenue at the publishers continues to go up, which means that the people who are the businesses who are making the money off these games as a service are the publishers and not retail. Um, well, there's also, but there's also that one thing in the middle too, which is I think that, you know, it's clear that digital sales are going right through the roof. Yeah, I know yeah, how that's the microtransaction. That's the outfits and the skins and yeah, uh, but yeah, but that but, there, but there's there's that other revenue. It's a, it's one of those. Yeah, it, when, when, once again, it's 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 a double-edged sword. I mean, most game publishers are publicly traded companies, right? And the more that they can show the revenue um, coming in, the happier their investors are going to be. And the happier their investors are going to be, the more they're not going to care what the publisher is going to do next. Right. If you see what I mean. So yeah. it's, yeah, they have to appease them, but once they're appeased, they might be able to have the opportunity to innovate. At some point, the market is going to want something new and something different. And it's really sort of up to, you know, the publishers to have kind of the, the, the well, well, to be able to see into the future somewhat and to be able to invest in something that might actually find that market. So. I mean, that, that's what I think is the, always the toughest thing about games, is you're working on something usually four years before anyone's going to play it, and you're trying to guess what people want to play four years from now. Right. And we've seen more, I mean, if you look at the MMO craze, once MMOs finally like were published, people had really started to move on from the genre of the MMO. I mean, that mm -hmm. it, it's it, that, that, that's the stuff that always worries me. So what do you think about Adam's take on games as a service? Um, I mean, he would know more about it than I would. I mean, uh, keep in mind, Adam has does. been kind of consulting over... Yeah, he's gone very biz dev, and he knows a lot more about that than we do, and probably knows a lot more than he can say. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I'm sure he's right in that regard. Uh, but he, he did bring up a great point that the yeah. average consumer, or even the core gamer, probably doesn't even think about is that... Yeah, it takes two years to make most games, mm -hmm. but there's so much more that goes into that game before they start mm -hmm. developing it. So he's right. It's like you're trying to predict the future four years 
in advance. Right, and then you get things like where you're asking about, like, well, how come no one's stolen PUBG's ideas? Right. And it's like, because it takes a while to get all that stuff off the ground. You know, like, it's... Yeah. And who knows when they started working on that? You know, because that's, that's an Arma mod. Yeah. So, like, now that's the new hotness, but if you're, like, going to, you know, say, let's say you're Activision and you're like, oh, we should put a mode like that in Call of Duty. So what's the first Call of Duty you could get that in? Next year's? The year probably. after? yeah. Is anyone going to care by then? I mean, truth be is told, it, they probably could release DLC for yeah. World War II. That, but presuming that, that the that the engine would support that, you right? Know, like you never know. Like that, you know, something takes place in a big open area like that. You don't know if you. Well, can, it is Call of Duty. I mean, it is scalable. I, I think likely Battlefield is the Battlefield franchise. seems like a, a place to do that. Yeah, yeah. but um, you know, like you said before, you can scale it. You know, if you play that mode with fifty people, is it really all that different? No. Yeah, you just shrink the um, size shrinks, of the yeah, battlefield. Yeah, make it smaller to begin with. Yeah. Um, but I think that lag time is always going to be there, and, and uh, the, probably the worst that ever was was uh, where Adam mentions MMOs in the wake of World of Warcraft, and everybody tried to make their own MMO, which was just like, never never go up against Blizzard. Never start a <laughs> land war against Blizzard. That should be, that's the classic blunder. Uh, yeah. Like, and, you know, everybody, it took, takes so long to make that kind of game. It's, that's even more true there, where it's like, you know, four years later, it's like, here we got a game that kind of plays like WoW Vanilla, and no one cared, and you lost a lot of developers to that. I think uh, maybe one thing Adam left out is the importance of characters mm. and creating characters that resonate with the player. And this on this week's pack, Pactor Factor, um, he, he kind of let it... He slipped up a little bit and said that Lawbreakers was a success. When we all know, so at least so far, it's not. But I think at this it's point, it's not as it needs to be. Right. Yeah. And I think at this point, we can all agree that it wasn't the gameplay that doomed that game. No. It it was a, it's a character based shooter without any character, and I think that's really what's held it back. And the fact that it's being compared to these other games that have tremendous amount of character, mm-hmm. and it, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about with Bungie and the Halo games, how. You can't tell someone to help how to put soul into a video game. It's either there or it's not. It's this intangible mm-hmm. thing that I think comes from love of doing the job as a developer. I'm sure the development environment t- plays into a big part of that. How close is the team? How good are the team leaders? Uh, I think all that plays into it. And that's something that you can't just snap your fingers and create. So. I think that's what a lot of people miss with games as a service and the mm-hmm. most successful ones. Even like, you know, we were seeing some footage of Rainbow Six Siege there. So those were just military guys and fatigues and bulletproof vests. But did you notice that each one of those characters had character? Mm-hmm. Like, they aren't just generic military guy. And I think that's where you're seeing games like Call of Duty and Battlefield 1 kind of getting left behind a little bit. Just because Mm -hmm. you're a traditional military game doesn't mean that you can't have characters that resonate with people. Call of Duty proved that itself with the first Modern Warfare. Um, So I think that's kind of the differentiator with games as a service. Can you create characters that people care about? Look at the most successful ones, League of Legends, Mm -hmm. Overwatch. Those are the games that have done really well, and if you think about it, those are also the games that have the most compelling and most memorable characters. So, mm-hmm. um, I, lo- I love the angle that Adam took there because that's where the space that he's living in now. He's more kind of on the business side of things, as you said, biz dev. So, 
Um, I think that's why we have them on here because everyone here is kind of providing a different perspective on this. Um, I think I I knew what Marcus was going to say about games as a service before yeah. I even did the interview. <laughs> but let's hear from him anyway. I think, well, it's going to be games that are just fast food gaming. It's going to be fast food gaming where the diet's not really going to help you. We're going to end up, unfortunately, the, the you know the the games that we used to play where there were 60, 70, 80 hours of single player. They've they've been going over and over, and we've seen this you know with Call of Duty over the years. That stuff's been been you know refined down, refined down, refined down, and now they they, they put the big set piece moments into multiplayer battlefields, which are great to look at and a sense of achievement when you're playing it. I still want to be playing the same map over and over again, or the yeah. same six maps. I kind of grew out of that in the late 90s after playing Doom and Heretic and Rainbow Six. And, you know, you want the new content, but you also, you know, I want a better challenge uh, that's beyond somebody just sniping me from a distance. Do you think he's right? Because he says, I want more content. But don't Mm -hmm. you think that these games as a service are kind of the games that are giving you the content not the content he's talking about because maps I and well i think he isn't he talking about um more single player content oh i think he was referencing having to play the same maps over and somewhat over but again. he's also talking about the, the tedium of being sniped by a guy across the map over and over and like you know and i started to feel that just last night playing a little bit of crucible and destiny 2 it's like wow this is not what i care about like yeah. i don't care about what stupid weird little tricky thing you can pull with your stupid shotgun in, in multiplayer that doesn't matter like, I want to play content that takes place in this world and expands the world and is interesting and, and takes me somewhere and tells me something. And you almost never get that content from these games as a service. They're always maps and guns and bling and, like, uh, the, the game... Emotes. The game has not been... The game as service that gives me, you know, content that, you know, I get... Like, maybe EA was thinking about doing that with Mass Effect Andromeda, but it Here's the game that's most guilty of it. League of Legends. Oh, yeah. I mean, you play the same map every time. The only thing that changes in this is your skins. And granted, I will say, League of Legends does probably the best job with skins of any game in the industry, because the skins in this game fundamentally change how a character looks and operates. It's not just a palette swap on their costume. It actually changes what they do and how their attacks work. So, and I mean, League of Legends, really, isn't it the first example of a really successful game as a service? I mean, it's certainly the template everybody uses now, yeah. I think. Is that, it, I mean, you're either using that or Hearthstone. Yeah. When it comes to it. And is it, does it really come down to the game being free? I mean, obviously, Overwatch costs money. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like this whole subgenre, for lack of a better term, was kind of birthed in the whole free-to-play market, and in some cases, like the mobile market. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of crossover there. Yeah. Um, like I, I mean, I can't really explain why League. I mean, League of Legends just, I guess, has a, a compelling method of play, and they get you. you know, of, of the. It's really deep. It's yeah, really and of the to. big yeah. Dota clones, they all 
I think League of Legends had the characters down first. Yep. Um, I mean, the first time I heard about League of Legends was at PAX. Someone cosplayed. Years ago. Probably. And, it was, yeah, it was like, I mean, the game was just starting to get big, and all these people were walking around in these costumes, and none of us on the exploit team knew what they were. I'm like, yeah. I'm, and because the usual way when we would be walking around somewhere like PAX or a convention or something, people would see people cosplaying, and someone would turn to me and say, who is that? Like, what is that? Because right. I'm the one who knew all that stuff. Yeah, that's like our and I'm like, I have no idea. I have no idea who the winged woman with the with the baking pan, like the the, <laughs> yeah. the cookies, is. And like, we started asking people, "What are what are you?" And they're yeah. like, "Oh, I'm legal. I'm Morgana from League of Legends in her baking outfit." And so, and I'm like, "I don't know what that is." So we like, we like yeah. went over to the riot booth, and we're like, "Who are you?" And like, that's how we discovered League of Legends was people dressed up as all these characters. And like, you know, I know that like it's kind of common now, especially that like people are dressing up as characters in games before the game's even out. Like, yeah. You know, it's a very thing. Um, I mean, uh, Ninja Theory put out. Like basically, like outfit guides on what uh, Senua is wearing in Hellblade in case yeah. people want to. I mean, they gave they gave people everything they could need for that. That's smart. But, but back then, this was like what 2010 or so, yeah. 2009, and like the idea that there are these people running around dressed doing these amazing costumes out of these characters we'd never heard of. We're like, well, wow, these, this is really speaking to these people in some way. And that's not a bad way for for a developer to kind of test the waters for their character design yeah. is do you think someone is going to cosplay this because i have a feeling if someone had went to cliff blazinski and laid out his characters for lawbreakers and said cliff do you think people are going to cosplay as these characters i think he would have said no mm-hmm. a couple people did they i'm sure but someone's like, going to but i mean someone will dress as anything right some, but in terms of like you know, there was a critical mass of League of Legends characters at PAX that year. Yeah. Like something, like so, nothing I'd ever seen of a game I'd never heard of. Yeah. Like that was a new thing to me. Mm-hmm. Um, obscure Japanese games, whatever, okay, fine. But like this game I had never heard of and you look it up, it's like, oh, millions of people are playing this game. Yeah. And we never, it had just been a, a corner we hadn't been aware of. And that was amazing to me. That was a big revelation. Uh, that was when you really, I really thought like, oh, stuff's changing. Stuff's yep. really changing. And, um, you know, you never know. Like character design is a, is a is a it, it's a it's an intangible thing that's hard to nail it down, and it's, there's no objective correct or incorrect to it. It's just something sings or it doesn't to a certain you know audience. Like you know, like I think as as laughable as a lot of the character designs in, in Battleborn are, I think a lot of them are more memorable than Lawbreakers. No, way more. Yeah, and, <laughs> even though you compare it to Overwatch, which right. we're seeing right now, like, I, that I don't think joke. Is a, right, but uh, in terms, like I still know I can I could draw a vague picture of the giant guy with the tiny head from Battleborn, or the mushroom headed, the guy. mushroom headed guy, yeah. or whatever. Way better than I could anyone in Lawbreakers. Yeah. I don't with you a million percent, totally. And that's like, and I don't know how you focus test that. You know, like it's sometimes that's just something you don't know until it gets out in the world. And, um, well, is it one of those things where you say, "I know it when I see it"? Kinda, yeah. But like, can't tell you what it maybe, is. But maybe, but I know Cl- it when maybe I see Cliff it. and the Boss Key guys thought they did know it when they saw it. Maybe yeah. that was appealing to them, and like, you can't you can't fault them for that because it's their opinion on it. It's well, like you they, can fault them for it. I mean, they develop the game, and right. if they make characters that people don't care about, it's their fault. It is their but, fault, but it's like, how do you predict that? Well, you well, get an I'm artist who has a track record of creating characters that are memorable. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it is what it is. Water under the bridge at this point. Oh, Lawbreakers isn't dead yet. I don't know. It was down to 500, 500 I did see that. That was, that concurrent was, yeah. players on PC. And don't forget, Matt, 
PC was the platform this game was marketed on pretty much until the end. Do you think, um, you know, because a lot of it has been like, Kroby Cat and those YouTubers kind of like throwing Cliff's old words back in his face on it. Do you think that that was a factor? Like his his dismissal of the PC platform and then attempt to return to it? I or do you think, think so. Like I feel like that's not widely known enough to explain this. I think it might, and we'll get to this here in a, in a bit, but I think that might be an example of the new influencers kind of throwing the rotten apple into the barrel. Mm. And then that kind of spreading like a virus. I mean, I, I honestly don't know why the game is done so poorly. I still love to play it. I think it's really fun to play. Yeah, I didn't buy it, but I did play the the beta, and it's uh, it's fun. I mean, it's it's too much. It's the learning curve is big enough that I know I'll never be good at it. Yeah. But I I certainly feel that it's a good game in there. Yeah. It's great to play. I mm-hmm. love it. But again, the character it feels good to play. Yeah. In a character driven world, if you don't have the characters to drive the game. I you're guess in, not. I, I mean, I, it, I did have the same problem I did when I first played uh, Battleborn, where it took me forever to pick a character the first time I played because I didn't. Nothing jumped out at yeah. me as somebody I wanted to play as. So they all just Whereas Overwatch, I was like, oh, maybe him, maybe him. It took yeah. me a while because I had to pick between all the guys I wanted to try. Yeah. Whereas the others, I was like, I guess this one? Like, And that's, I mean, as a fighting game fan, that's always the death knell. It is, yeah. It's, hey, it's. A quality artist. That's yeah. really what it comes down to. And Blizzard certainly has them. So the next question I want to ask these guys is about what is undoubtedly the biggest story in video games this year at this point. I don't think anyone can deny it. Player Unknown's Battlegrounds had sold 8 million copies at Gamescom. Yesterday, about a week and a half or two weeks later, it was announced it had sold 10 million it's in Minecraft. Uh, oh, it is. Minecraft critical mass. It basically. is, without a doubt, the story in video games of 2017. And I honestly can't see anything else happening for the next four or five months that could trump it. Um, it's insane. Um, and as two guys, both guys, by the way, who have played shooters, Mar- Marcus especially. He's been mm-hmm. a, a shooter player for a long time. He's fallen off a little bit in his later years. But... <laughs> Seriously, like he... I know, but it just sounds like... Like, like he's really writing, old You're writing his biography already <laughs> or something. I just know him really well. Yeah. And he had kind of started we- weaning himself off shooters back in the Invisible Walls days. And, you know, now it's kind of got to the point where he doesn't play him anymore. But he knows his stuff. So let's hear what Marcus has to say about PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds. My finger's been hovering. and I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm now torn because it's, um, it's going to be out in Scorpio. It is. So do yeah. I play on Scorpio, or do I double down and end up buying two copies, put one on, you know, on on this uh, on this laptop and play that? Um, that one's obviously doing doing great guns. Oh yeah, uh, that's, eight, mil- that's... eight million sold already. Yeah, for uh, it's not even finished though. Yeah, I, I mean know. it's still technically it's in green light. Crazy. Um, but yeah, again, people are having fun, and but it's not ultra. My understanding is it's not ultra quick games. It's not like five seconds and you're dead. Uh, no, it's not. I mean, the games can take a while, but I think the key to PUBG, as the kids call it, is that once you do die, you can immediately jump out of the game, and literally within a minute, you're playing another one. And I think that's kind of it's uh, the trick that keeps people hooked on it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. And again, I want to see, you know, I, used to, you know, I play the MMOs. I mean, I just re-upped Warcraft, World of Warcraft, for the umpteenth time to take a look at the new expansion. Um, 
and wow is still is still great and i just think that i'm surprised you're still playing wow that's crazy well i just wanted you know i wanted to go in and have a look i mean <laughs> you don't have it, to make excuses it's fine <laughs> well i'm i'm playing uh, elder scrolls online as well i mean since yeah. that went you know technically free to play right it, they've evolved that game it was a disaster when it launched yeah but now it's really really good and i'm still hoping for a fallout one but you know these uh, i would love to see the mmos come back and take advantage of the newer technology and i just want a bit more of a you know i want to be i want to go beyond the fast food gaming i want a three course meal and i think it's because i'm older i mean i like, yeah. i don't have my while i may not have the, the the time that i used to have to burn into a game and i know people are saying that's ironic now because i'm in recovery and so on but <laughs> i actually do sleep a lot i mean after this i'm going for my afternoon nap because again i had the treatment this morning um yeah, I mean, I miss being pulled in and immersed in that world. And I think, you know, it's also, it's also, you know, getting old. I mean, I'm 47 this year. I know you're 68 and you're looking good, though. Um, <laughs> but I mean, we, you know, when we started off playing games, we weren't playing games for like five minutes and then like game over, we've been sniped or whatever. Yeah. We'd play for hours on end. I think it's just you know the, the market is changing. The people are changing. The the younger generations they they're switching away from the TV. They're they're all tuning into YouTube and Twitch and watching the games being uh, streamed, which I still think is the most boring thing on the planet. And again, <laughs> no offense to those who stream the games. No offense to those who um, you know watch. If you're enjoying it, more power to you. But. I mean, you know, it could be worse. You could be watching the Kardashians. That's I mean, that's watching, absolutely true. Yeah, watching Rocket League on on NBC Sports on a Sunday night way better than watching reality TV crap. Um, but again, still, it just boggles my mind that people will fill auditoriums to watch this. And I'm not saying it's because you know there's no skill involved because there obviously is skill and talent involved. I just think the you know it's the most boring thing in the world to, to watch somebody else play a game. I want to play it myself. And, you know, like I said, I think we're different. I mean, I remember when we'd sit at game trailers and one of us would be in the bay playing a game, recording the video, and people would, would just come up behind and start watching but want to get their hands on the controller. They want to get, the, you know, get it away Their chance, from... yeah. Yeah. I think the irony there is I would pay good money to watch Marcus play Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. <laughs> <laughs> As long as he had a microphone, yeah. That's what I'm saying, yeah. because that game, I, I know Marcus, and I know what trips his trigger, and that game is just full of them. Mm -hmm. There's jank, there's unfortunate things that just kill you out of nowhere, there's a lot of luck involved in it. Like, I could, there's very little tactics or strategy. Mm -hmm. I could just see him losing it playing that game. So, it'll be interesting to see if he actually ends up resonating with it or not. Um, have you played... PUBG nope. yet? You still haven't played it. It's too expensive for me to like impulse buy it. It's wow. just it just costs too much for an early access game to me. Marcus just said the same thing. His finger's been hovering yeah. over it and he hasn't pulled the trigger like yet. The only reason I would do it is because I feel like I have to play this thing that's such a big news story this year. Like yeah. when, you know, I'll probably play it before the end of the year because at some point you gotta have that conversation. Does it qualify for the game of the year thing? Because it's still it's not out yet, technically. It's early access. <laughs> Here's my question. Is it considered finished when it comes out on Xbox One? 
I don't know, but like I don't know the I don't know if they've have they said if that's going to be 1.0. Or I don't know. Be, I don't know. Does I, it matter? I honestly, it doesn't really. I honestly would be surprised if it comes out this year. Yeah. Well, there's a, it, it has <laughs> a ways to go, to. <laughs> especially if you watched anyone try to drive a boat. Oh, I know. In it. It's uh, well, yeah. I mean, the game is janky. You know, it's you know a lot of people are talking. Yeah, about but uh, but do you wonder like. Let's say they, you know, they get around to doing the whole and fix, and they fix everything. It works beautifully, and it's like AAA quality. Does that rob it of part of its charm? Maybe part of its, part of its appeal, especially as a spectator sport, for lack of a better term. Uh, I don't know. Is man. part of is part of why people like watching this game is because of how crazy and janky and unpredictable it can be. I guess, but I think if that were the case, then they wouldn't have bothered like putting in like clamoring animations mm. and like because when I first started playing it, you couldn't climb over anything. Mm. You had to find like if there's a little wall that was like two feet tall around a house. You couldn't jump over that wall or climb over it. N64 style. Right. You had to, like, walk around and find the gate to, like, get into the courtyard. Like, Well, well, apparently that was totally acceptable in Vice City. Yeah. (laughs) That was a long time ago. Which, to this day, I have the argument with people like, oh, Vice City's the best GTA. I'm like, no, the best GTA of that era is San Andreas because you can hop a goddamn fence. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but and, I mean, you, and you don't die in the water. And that like, was a long time ago, too. Yeah, but like, I, I just wonder if they can, if eventually they might take it too far and make it too good, for, for, because I think there's two. I think the reason people watch it and the reason people like playing it are two different things in a lot of ways. And yeah. I think, I think the key to the play. I mean, a lot of the gameplay concepts in that game are well worn, are done before. Yeah, yeah. I think the key to the game. The game and the, and the appeal of it in terms of players' success is what you said, where when you die. You're instantly thrown into a new game. Yeah, like you don't have to. You, you don't have to away. wait. You're just you, the, the the gameplay experience is all about you, and what and and the only thing that matters to you is how long you live. Yeah, and as soon as you're dead, who cares who wins that game? And then all you care about is how more how quick how do you, you get respond? into a new game? Yeah, yeah, and I think the fact that the game is so dedicated to making that a smooth and instant part of the experience is why it. I think that's where it gained its traction to begin with of the player base. I think in terms of a viewer base. It's just it's just the unpredictability and, and how crazy and how the best laid plans go completely to chaos in five seconds out of nowhere. You know, it's like it, it's just like the tension of it. Even play, even just watching something as simple as like the mediocre Monday stuff with Brent, it's like you're watching him sneak around and run around and you're just waiting to see everything go to hell. And yeah. <laughs> and it never disappoints. Yeah. You know? I'm not a person who watches stuff on Twitch. I've only watched a couple of Twitch streams of this game just to see what it was. Yeah. But I get it, you know? Yeah. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit down and watch it again, really, probably, but like I get why people sit there and wait for the, it's it's a rewarding kind of you it, there's a build and there's a crescendo and there's a denouement. Like it, it, it it's a satisfying arc. Yeah. Every time, and I get why people are into it so much. It makes sense to me, and that's why I remain a little skeptical of the idea that the big boys can can copy this effectively. Well, let's hear what Adam has to say about PUBG. We're both kids in the nineties. Uh, you know, there, there's this feels more to me like the indie scene of music and movies of the nineties than what we've been calling indie games for quite some time, which tended to be. I'm not, I'm, I'm not diminishing them at all, but it was kind of, you know, allowing for different voices and different perspectives that, yeah, this allows for kind of that sort of daring innovation, doing something that on paper no publisher would want to do, prove it can be done, publisher then steps in and says, okay, here's even more money, go even polish this up, and we'll probably fund your next game, you know, through eternity. 
Um, and I, I, I think it's a very good thing, a very exciting thing. Do you think that's what's going on here? Um, it's a very astute point that yeah. Adam just made. Uh, Is it a blueprint for some of these smaller developers to? I mean, because look, already, Player Unknown is rich beyond his wildest dreams. Ra- rather known. Yeah, now he's yeah. known. <laughs> the irony. I mean, he's rich. He's dirty rich at this point. He could sell. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if Microsoft comes in and offers just godly sums of money for Microsoft PUBG. would be stupid not to try to secure like a year of exclusive. Anybody. This thing. I mean, not even just secure exclusive for a year. Just flat out buy, buy it. it. Just can like that, it can that with be Minecraft. done because it's an Arma mod? It should be able to. Yeah. I mean, if that point, Microsoft just rebuilds the whole damn thing. <laughs> like, right. it's really about the IP and the idea. It's really the IP. Because look, like we've said before, people can copy this gameplay style. They could copy it easily. You could throw 400 guys at making a PUBG clone, and you could probably make a better game in a year. Less, probably. Um, it's about the IP at this point. It's about... Player unknowns, battlegrounds. And you just throw a boatload of money at that. I wouldn't send Minecraft money after it, mm-hmm. but certainly throw enough at it that he can just enjoy the rest of his life, which I think he probably already has enough money to do that anyway. But uh, double that. <laughs> so you can enjoy two lifetimes of money and take this franchise. Because, you know, going back to our earlier discussion, this is Microsoft's problem. It does not mm-hmm. have games that people want to play that you can only play on Xbox. And I I just think it would be missing a huge opportunity if it didn't. It, I mean, it already has its hooks one. in now. Like, it has the relationship. He feels good working with Microsoft already. Mm-hmm. Just go in for the kill at this point. But yeah, I mean, I, if I were Microsoft, I'd throw whatever I had to at it to get it. I mean, you've already done Minecraft, and I think this is, this is I think, the closest we've seen to Minecraft sales critical mass since Minecraft. No, you're right. You where know? it's just like Minecraft every had, week, it's right. another... Because Minecraft had that thing where like, you know, it, took, <laughs> it took like a year and a half to get to a million, yeah. and then it took like four months to get to five million. Yeah. It's just like all of a sudden, it just, poof, it just the dam broke. It hit critical and it, mass. It just went yeah. crazy, and everybody went for it. And this is almost even more impressive because this thing costs twice as much as Minecraft, I yep. think, or, or more, uh, 10 bucks more maybe. I can't yeah. remember. Is this 30 or 40? It's 30 bucks. Okay, so Minecraft was 10. Right. And then it later at became first, twenty. Yeah. At first, it was, at first it was ten. I bought it for ten. I yeah. remember when it hit the beta on that janky website that yeah. they were selling it on. <laughs> so this one's twenty bucks more, and yeah. it's still selling like that. Yeah, and it's like and it's not even done. Yeah, now it was Minecraft, but like, um, if I were Microsoft, I'd be looking real hard because that this is PUBG is the weird poo bug is the weird. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's the weird unique moment where it's like here's a thing. That you can play on PC. It started on PC, but you can't play it on console. And so, th- to capture the people who want to play this on console, that's your move. Whereas, like, because it's one of the few moments you're not going to be have to share that with Sony by default. Yeah. So I think you're right that like they this is this is a, a be a big feather in the cap. It's a huge opportunity that for get Microsoft. that hits an audience that I think even though it's also a shooter, I think hits an audience that's very different from Halo and Gears. And to Adam's point. Kind of the whole process of this game becoming a success. Mm-hmm. This guy building it, going into early access, doing really well, and then the sharks coming in mm-hmm. to buy the company or buy the game. 
Um, it is kind of interesting, and it's something you haven't really seen all that much. I, I mean, mean, it's Minecraft. Minecraft and this is kind of it. So the I think this definitely establishes the idea that if you have an idea that sounds crazy, but you can execute it properly, and you know it's a winner. I mean, this guy clearly knew there was something to this. Well, if you remember at Gamescom, they asked him what it is about the game that's made it so successful, and he just flat said, out I said, know. I have yeah. no idea. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. Because a lot of people would be like, well, you know, I knew all along. It was just well, a matter if we got our break. Well, or... it's like the whole thing, you know, like we, you sit in meetings about like, oh, we're doing this thing and how do we get it to go viral and who do we do the tweet? We'll get these people to tweet this and there's that. But the truth is you can't control no. that. No one can control something blowing up or going viral or getting huge. No, no. no one could recreate PewDiePie. No. You know, that happened organically and all the big stuff like that, that always happens organically. You couldn't predict Minecraft. Minecraft wasn't the first block building Mining, no, you know, I know. And, and it was a ton to Infiniminer and a bunch yeah. of these other other games before it, but it's the one that blew up. Yeah, and you can't predict that. No, you got to start the, the the spark. Yeah, someone has to start the spark, and then you just got to pray. Yeah, <laughs> that it's, that little gust of wind comes along. It's and also just... why I, you know, my cynical answer to why haven't other shooters jumped on the the PUBG idea faster is my cynical answer to that is who cares? Yeah, because. PUBG already did it. Yeah, you know, and like, but it, it's. All, I, I mean, there's probably money it, to be there's money to be made there. Yeah, but not on the level of that. And I think you're in the same situation as with like the Dota stuff, where like, yes, Dota Two is successful, Heroes of the Storm is successful, but are they League of Legends? No, no. League of Legends is. But I don't think every game needs gorilla. to be that successful, though. And no. I think if you played PUBG, you, your perspective will be a little different because you would realize that. It could very easily be drastically improved. Mm -hmm. in you know, a lot game, of areas. you know, what game. It reminds me of when I look at, I watch it, uh, is State of Decay. Yeah, it's very similar. Like it has that sort of like run around an open area with a bunch of cabins and looking drawers. Yeah, thing. and I find that oddly That's compelling. That's pretty accurate. <laughs> <laughs> or pick stuff up off the ground. Yeah. All right, we're gonna move on next. Uh, obviously, a big topic that has kind of. I wouldn't say broke over the last couple of years, but really kind of gone mainstream uh, is esports. It's, e been, it's been floating around. Yeah. This is something that's happened since both Marcus and Adam have kind of disappeared from covering games. And Adam, as someone who we both worked it with in television at uh, G4, I figured he would have a very unique perspective on this. Let's hear what he had to say. And this is funny, Shane, because you know you and I worked on X Play together, which was on television. Um, this need for people to, to the, the, the sense of validation that people are looking for because the thing they love is on the television screen is very perplexing to me. Yeah. Especially because, you know, the monitor that I'm talking to you on and the television I have in the background, they're just screens now. Right. Like, but somehow when it's televised, you know, it's by cable, it, it means, oh, we've made it. Um, and I don't think esports were ever really going to catch on. You know, those Dota numbers for ESPN2 were nice, yeah. but I don't think that they were reliable. Whereas I do think that esports just if, if, by, by streaming, you know, those numbers are very, very significant by an internet standard, and there's a way to monetize that. Where I think esports is has a huge challenge ahead is it's it's kind of like the whole problem with like the various um, like the, the the boxing titles. Like why are there three? You know, when you right. try to see someone like, yeah, there's three different belts in your unit by the belt. It's like, an average person is like, what the hell does that mean? Yeah. It's, it's so disorganized. And that, you know, the idea that is someone the best at something, 
I think is, is very challenging to the average person. I think more so the most popular games that people are watching right now are very hard to understand if you are not a player of that game. And that's where I think the televisual or just the visual experience of watching games that don't have the same sense of competition, like Friday the 13th and Battlegrounds, I think really could change the alchemy here because they're just fun to watch people play. That it's not so much like I'm gonna put on my jersey for my favorite Battlegrounds <laughs> player, hold a beer and cheer him on. It's just a very, very entertaining thing to watch. That, that once again, we, you know, we're trying to map sports onto esports. Right. I think that we've seen with like you know with 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 all these things like that the, the, the two aren't synonymous. It's not like you can just throw on sports and televise it like sports and think that you're going to end up with the same result as the NFL. It, it, it's I think it needs a lot more innovation, but no, I don't think it's going to succeed. Do you think the kind of recent push towards geographical identification in esports? Because like right now, the NBA is getting into esports, and they're going to have the Los Angeles Lakers esports team, and there's going to be the Philadelphia 76ers. Do you think that helps by sort of engendering interest from a region versus just saying, hey, this is some dude from somewhere else. You should care about him. You know, it helps with curation. For the person that doesn't know how to even understand anything in esports, it's like, well, there's an L.A. team, so it, it makes it a little bit easier. Attaching the Lakers to an esports team, though, just strikes me as, it kind of goes back to what I was just saying. There's just no reason for that. And it's, it's almost kind of patronizing, like, we know you go crazy for the Lakers, kid. So you're going to go crazy for the Lakers esports team. It's, you know, young people are a little more savvy to kind of smell, to see through stuff like that. And it's, it's, you know, like kind of going back to like old, old G4. You know, I, I always felt that the station initially had kind of a cynical origin. It was like, yeah, games are big. We put them on the TV. They'll come a flocking. Right. And it, it's just, it's, it's, you know, it's that lack of understanding of the dynamics of this medium versus other mediums that usually create all of these stumbles that become embarrassing and kind of alienate, you know, that because you need to start with the core audience. I just don't see how doing that creates that core audience. Dude, I think Adam, right out of the gate, he kind of starts talking about something that I think in, in the end he proves being incorrect. And he starts off by talking about how when people see something they love on the TV, it makes a difference and it has like a greater impact. But mm -hmm. I think what the problem with esports is, is that the millennials and the kids have completely gotten over that. They right. don't look at TV like well, that they don't like have we cable. used to. Or they don't have cable, right. Yeah. I think, I think the, the, the generation and the audience that, that the idea of watching esports would most appeal to don't have any way to watch it on actual television because yeah. they don't have cable subscriptions because A, they either don't care or they can't afford it. I think only people over 30, maybe even a little older, are the only people who still care about on TV, well, about it, being on TV. I, I mean, think I think the people who are involved in the the esport itself are because I know like you know like in, like Evo has been on ESPN two the last two years the the finals right. and everybody who's involved now in the fighting game pro like everybody's very excited about that they 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 do feel it's validating but I don't know if the main audience. But for you're that talking feels, feels about, about the it. announcers though who are in their thirties. They're yeah, old but, enough to get that. The competitors yeah. I don't think care what, whether it's on a stream or on television or on someone's cell phone. Oh, I think or... I think it matters in some to some degree although maybe it matters less that they're on TV and more that they're in the Mandalay Bay Arena right. thing and in front of. Venue is impressive, right. yeah. 
Um, I mean, I agree with him in the sense that it's just, I don't think it's ever going to get there because yeah. it's too, like, like the medium is too old for, for what it's trying to portray. It's no, you're like, absolutely right. Like you're, you're up against the wall with, you know, the, the, the younger audience not having the means to watch it through cable or whatever. Uh, they also don't want to sit down and watch it at a particular time. Or if they do, they want to be able to watch it on their phone or some other place that TV doesn't pop up because you don't put cable on. I mean, unless you're talking about like HBO Go or something like that. Yeah. Um, it's just, you know, as much as people care about esports stuff, I just don't think enough people consider it appointment television to want to, like, drop everything and watch it on TV. Right. Like, it's more of a thing that you pull, you know, people pull it out on their phone when they're waiting for something. Or I mean, I think it's almost a mobile game in some way in that sense. Esports on TV is a worse experience. And then you look at traditional sports, like the NFL. Watching the NFL on TV is a superior experience. Right. And so people are stopping going to the live games, and they're more than happy to pay... 300 bucks a year for a Sunday ticket and sit at home and watch all the games or just watch whatever games come on their local networks. But yeah, television and esports, it feels like they're just going different directions. And right yeah. now they're just kind of passing each other and eventually well, think, they're going to. Well, see, I think uh, outside of the social context of it, I think watching Evo on stream is better than being there in person because you get, a lot, you get the commentary, you get yeah. more complete stuff. However, no TV station is going to air three straight days of that. No. You know, you're never going to get... air the polls. Right. The... It's not going to, you know, and <laughs> not so... Happen. Yeah, so who cares? I, I think the big test here, I think, I think, I still think the two things that are most likely to ha- to gain any traction in televised esports is PUBG, even though that first one didn't go so well. Yeah. And, and fighting games. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that I think could be a big test, and who knows if this is even going to work out, is the next Olympics. Because they are submitting games as esports, but then no they said no violence, games. which is hilarious because you have boxing and fencing and taekwondo, you hypocrites. <laughs> yeah. um, of course, yeah. But again, like, I think an argument can be made if you need to sneak something in there and they won't let you put PUBG or Overwatch or something like you could probably get away with Street Fighter. Maybe. Because they have Taekwondo. Violent, you could, you could be like, yeah, but it's ta- they have boxing in Taekwondo. I hear you, but I like, hear you. Like, that's the argument I'd go for. I agree with you. Because otherwise, what is it? Competitive <laughs> Candy Crush? Like, it's what fake. Is- it's not real. They're not real people fight. Yeah. You're it's- also not shooting at real birds in the biathlon. Like, I don't know right. what to tell you. But here's man. another example but of I think the, way the older you- people running something that they right. don't get. Right, but all you need to do to get the Olympic Committee on board is show them the money. money. That's it. Going back to going back Adam's to what answer, we were talking about earlier. <laughs> um, but I think you know, putting that, putting something, like, and people will freak. It was like the Olympics is like, look, as long as like target shooting is a sport in the Olympics, you got nothing. Yeah. You know, I and mean, when the Olympics started in the early 20th century, chess was an event. Yeah. So it's there's precedent. You know, it, it it doesn't have to be something that you have to have like. I mean, people say, oh, if you don't sweat, it doesn't matter. It's like, well, no one's sweating in the target shooting competition, the archery competition. But it still takes a, a level of coordination that I don't have. Precision, scale. To, I couldn't get up and do that. And in the yeah. same way that I couldn't get up and, and win that archery competition or win that target shooting competition, I also could not win that Dota competition. No, you're right. Because that is a physical skill that I don't have. And maybe Absolutely. you need to have played it to understand that. But, like... It would be interesting to me if they actually get traction on that as a test sport in the next Olympics. How you present that and how you contextualize that along with the other Olympic events, assuming the Olympics even have any respect left by that point. (laughs) Um, That is going to be a very interesting situation to see if it could be accepted and if someone can figure it. Because like I always, I always assuming that a city will actually take the Olympics at that point. Oh, I mean they got them. The new one and LA's got them. 
in yeah. tw was it 2024 or something like that? I think by the time our lives are up, the Olympics are going to be in deep Oh, it'll, it'll be yeah. only so. Well, the problem has been for the last few that they've been targeting kind of developing countries, and there's no excuse for making a developing country spend that kind of money on infrastructure that's never going to be used again. Go look, go look at what the Rio, the Rio like, facilities look like now. They, they look like they've been abandoned. for. They look like you it's could play a, PUBG in them. And it's basically. been like a year. Yeah, they look like a new PUBG map. You're right. Basically, it's it's like everything's just broke down. But like LA's got the infrastructure to do it. LA's got a concentration of tech. LA's got a concentration of esports athletes that could put on a show if they got a chance at that point. Um, it's going to be interesting to see if anybody decides to take the bait yeah. on that. I don't know if that's possible. I don't know what games you would focus on for that. But you know, if the money's there, it could happen. I think the main problem is like who's going to watch it. Yeah. Not like, me. Mm, no, probably not. I mean, I'll watch. I'll probably watch if 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 Street Fighter gets in the Olympics. I'll watch. I'll that. watch that. That's about the only thing, though. That's the only way I'd watch it. But I probably wouldn't watch League of Legends Olympic event. And I play League, and I probably still wouldn't watch it. I just wouldn't. So, I know you guys can't wait to hear what Mar <laughs> what Marcus has to say about esports. Also, uh, contrary to what Adam said there, I'm pretty sure no one who founded G4 ever said the the word. A flocking. No. <laughs> I can't see Charles Richard saying that. Nope. But... All right, let's hear from Marcus on esports. Um, I would, and look, and this is somebody again who finds esports incredibly boring. I, I think TV needs esports more than esports needs TV. That's a good point. Uh, I think the networks know that, uh, especially in the US, viewer figures for the NFL are in the toilet. People yeah, are getting dropping. quite sick of watching you know when you know what's going on with the players who've got concussions and you see all the bullshit with Kaepernick where he's getting you know kicked out of, or blackballed if you will or whiteballed um, because of his protests and then there's guys who beat the crap out of their girlfriends or wives who just get six week suspensions uh, people are getting tired of that hypocrisy people are tired of how much everything costs for a jersey for a game day experience if you can even get a ticket without going to you know uh, a tout and if you're watching it on tv you have to buy the nfl package yeah and you know it's people are moving to uh, to look to other things but i mean you know the beauty of uh you know our our, our society today is that this generation is coming through that are watching twitch they are perfectly happy doing that on their ipad they don't need perhaps the big screen experience that we like, you know, where I've got my 70-inch TV and my surround sound so I can watch Liverpool tonk Arsenal 4-0 on a Sunday morning. Um, you know, you can, you can watch your, your, your beloved uh, Steelers. Um, they don't need that. Yeah. They don't, they're perfectly happy to, to be on the smaller devices, have a more intimate, uh, intimate thing and react and, you know, and interact with people as they do it. Do you think that's really uh, the rub with esports on television is that it lacks that interaction because you don't have sort of that built-in chat with the community right there? Which is a good thing because the last thing you want on your television network is somebody saying, show us your tits. Yeah, I mean, that's something that broadcasts will never be able to offer, right? Because of that very reason, everything needs to be screened before it goes to air. Yeah. Well, I also, th I mean, I also think that... That, uh, while again, that I understand why people want that level of interactivity and uh, connectedness, um, I don't think it's necessarily a good idea because yeah. we've seen what's happened. We've seen what's happened to the games industry in general, and, and then how that's become a microcosm of what's affected, you know, Britain and and the and the US and you know certain sections of the world over the last eighteen months to two two years. Um, 
when people without knowledge or experience or dare I say common sense uh, allowed allowed to voice an opinion they will go to the lowest common denominator they will harass somebody to say get your boobs out or they will say they call somebody uh, you know a homophobic slur or racial slur just to get a reaction attention yeah yeah and I Honestly, you know, there's a reason why I did my own little podcast for a while called No Comments Allowed, which I put on uh, SoundCloud. And that was the idea. It was me talking about something I knew a lot about, passing my opinions on something I knew a lot about, the opinions that have been curated over a 25-year period, quarter of a century. Um, And then no comments. I'd interact with a couple of people over Twitter or whatever, but I didn't want anybody coming in there and just bitching and moaning. I just think that you know, I've said this before, the advent of the Internet has given people a voice. Um, but what we have found is that voice on a lot of occasions deserves to be silenced. <laughs> That's great. Marcus really nailed it right out of the gate, though, when he said TV needs esports more than mm-hmm. esports needs TV. That was like TV is generally struggling to find a reason for people to watch it. Yeah. Uh, especially with like the way you've traditionally kind of detected how well something's doing. Like, the Nielsen rating system doesn't work anymore and hasn't worked for a very long time, but no one changes it over. You know, the Nielsen system has the ability to see what every individual television is watching if you wanted yeah. it to, but no one does it because of privacy concerns, uh, as though what you're watching is some kind of a secret. But um, unless you're watching the Spice Channel, I don't see what the problem is. But, does that uh, channel still exist? I hope not. <laughs> that's, that's reaching back into the 90s a little bit there, but... Um, I hope somewhere it does. It does. So, somewhere. <laughs> Romania like, or something. Yeah, it's, it's like how G4 Tech TV still exists <laughs> yeah, in Canada. Canada, you know? yeah. But um, God knows what they run. But I, they're still there. There's little satellite dishes with a logo on them still. It's really weird because it was only ever called G4 Tech TV for like three months. Yeah, very briefly here. In but the, United it, the name stayed in Canada for some with reason. It. Very weird. So the last topic that we're going to discuss, no big surprise, uh, we're all people who have worked in games journalism at various levels and locations and publications for decades now. And I think it only makes sense for us all to kind of discuss together, kind of, with these two guys via, via pre-recorded interviews about where games journalism is headed. Um, Adam... And, and I will say, these interviews are edited, and eventually uh, I will put up the full interviews with both these guys, and uh, they're worth watching. Um, Marcus talks a lot about his physical issues he's had, um, his health issues. Uh, Adam talks a little bit about, you know, will he ever come back to games criticism and things like that. So we'll be posting the full interviews. We just pulled excerpts for the show. Um, but I will say one thing, you know, Adam really has no desire to come back and do this again, Matt. Mm-hmm. None. That doesn't surprise me, but I know him pretty well. Yeah. So. I mean, we both do, but I was still pretty surprised by that. It's hard to, it, I mean, the other thing is he works in, you know, a, sec, a segment of the industry he really enjoys and is interested in. He's mostly his own boss. Yeah. And that's a hard thing to, to you know, it's hard to go from 
being your own boss to going back to answering to corporate nonsense again. Yeah. Um, which is um, as well you know because you are your own boss. Yeah. Well, um, it may not be for long. Yeah. Our, well, I mean, if our Patreon doesn't pick <laughs> up, I may be going right on back there. So. But it's like if you don't have to, why would you? And, oh, believe me, I wouldn't if I didn't have to. And let's also not let's be honest. Like you know, we have our niche here in what we do and YouTube stuff and all that kind yeah. of thing. There's still the IGNs of the world, but it's like. Yep. It's not a growth sector. No. You know? It's not. Like it's no. not we were lucky to be in that weird golden age where we could have a TV show about games and yeah. we could that period before like that kind of period between the magazines and the YouTube stuff where we just sort of came into that tech and internet internet world and sort of figured out how it worked. Yeah. Like we got to live that and that we was did, great. Yeah. Like maybe maybe like 50 people got to do what we did yeah. in the world. It's true. And that's great. I mean, I, I would never trade that for anything, but the problem is, and I think we came out of it better than most because we had skills in television and production, very different right. things. Inside, you know, there's people, like, I always would look at people that just wrote, you know, text reviews and worry about, like, what happens yeah. if this all goes away one day? And we're kind of there. in that right now. Yeah. Well, let's hear from two legends from what they think. Let's start this one off with Marcus. I think the games industry has an age problem and is struggling with it. It's because, uh, I mean, we've grown up with the industry. We've grown older with the industry. And the unfortunate there is still, and I, you know, again, something I've said for a very long time, there is still a perception that video games are a young man's gig or a young woman's gig or a young person's gig. Yeah. Uh, when it isn't, people of all ages can play games and enjoy them. Uh, and I think you see, yes, the salary dump is an issue. We've gone from print to uh, to online. We've seen ad revenues tank. We've seen we've gone to the worst possible scenario of the influencer. There's a re- reason that influence rhymes with effluence because effluence is shit, and so <laughs> are most of these influencers. Yeah. You show some. You show me somebody with fifty thousand followers on Instagram. And they're, they're hawking this, that, and the other, and they're getting paid for it and not declaring it, given the FCC rules that are in place. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you saw EA's press conference at E3 where it employed a lot of the quote-unquote influencers, and they ended up doing not – I don't want to be too mean, but they did not do a great job. And, you know, obviously you have millions of people watching, and there's when it's live, there's no, there's no do-overs. Look, when I went to, heart, to have my heart surgery done – I went to a, you know, it was a cardiologist, not a barista. <laughs> if you're going to host a press conference to millions of people around the world on a multi-billion dollar industry with IPs like Star Wars Battlefront, FIFA, Madden, um, and, you know, Titanfall, uh, and whatever you've got. The Need for Speed yeah. game is probably the worst of them all. You don't, you don't pick fanboys. Yeah. Because that's the thing. Fan is short for fanatic. And, we, you know, again, the problem we have had in the games industry for the longest time is that there have been way too many fanboys. And now because everybody wants their personal validation, they're for the, it's like, validate my decision. You know, I mean, I exp- if, if I was a total moron, I'd expect you to say I was wonderful and brilliant for being brave enough to, organ- uh, to order a Scorpio. But it's my fucking choice, my money. Yeah, it is. I don't need a pat on the head for saying that. Uh, it's and you know same, you're not getting it from me anyway. Well, the, the, but this is it. I mean, I shouldn't expect that. And I shouldn't yeah. expect my choices and preferences to be con, uh, be validated and accepted by everyone. I shouldn't have somebody saying, well, 
oh, you're wonderful. You're going to go and get, you know, uh, pea bug. Bug, yeah, play a unknown bug, 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 the chicken dinner PUBG. game. <laughs> yeah, PUBG. There you go. Uh, it's like, or, or you know, you haven't bought a switch yet. You're an asshole. Right. Which is something that you know you do get. Mm-hmm. And no, I'm not buying a switch. Um, it's not for me. People are loving it. Great. I have problems with Nintendo. I always have, and those problems continue when they continue to underservice the market just so that they can have the cachet of some of a, a product that's scarce. Yeah, that's the only reason they do it. If they put enough out there to satisfy demand, people will be a lot, lot happier. Plus, I still can't stand Zelda. So, <laughs> and again, you know, I've got nothing against people who even though Zelda's a lot like uh, Bethesda's open world action RPGs now, you still still didn't resonate with you. Uh, look, I, ha- I haven't played Zelda on the Switch. I mean, I, I played the last one on the-, the Wii or whatever, or the Wii U or whatever it was on. I can't remember. But, I mean, it's just not my cup of tea. I know you are a huge Zelda fan. Yeah, and I honestly I got... didn't. In- I did not like the new Zelda as much as most. I liked it a lot and thought it was good. But I, I feel like once it changed genres, it was held to a different standard. And for me, comparing it to the best open world action rpgs in the genre to me it fell short i think a lot of people were looking over a lot of flaws because it was zelda and it sort of had that paint on it well i I think that and that is a still an issue i mean you know you we go back to we touch back to that fanboy issue people will bow down and kiss the turds that come out of some some people's asses because it has zelda attached to it or metal gear or gran turismo or you know whatever game whatever games we're talking about and uh, nothing is judged on its own individual right anymore um i mean i got caught up in it fallout 4 i i I loved fallout 4 when it first came out but then i started to realize it wasn't as good a game as i hoped because it didn't have a lot of the options that fallout 3 and new vegas had yeah um you know and that's true we were all guilty of that um but i think that if this industry is to evolve um, it has to do something that the rest of the planet hasn't been able to do and basically start giving people, you know, get, getting a consumer base that's actually quite respectful. I'm not going to call somebody a dick because they're a Zelda fan. Right. Marcus from maybe six years ago might have <laughs> because, well, you know, I played it. I just couldn't see it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I've got uh, maybe grown up a little, God forbid. Um, but I respect that people do enjoy these games. The same reason they do enjoy Final Fantasy, which, you know, the last one uh, to me looked like the Backstreet Boys on on tour. Yeah. I, I Not my cup of tea at all. I mean, you know, like I said, I finished with eight. I loved eight. That was it. Um, but I'm not going to slag you off for playing Animal Crossing, even though I tried it and it bored me to tears. But I just don't think we can do that anymore. I think as a, you know, we need as a society to basically have our asses kicked and get to get to the the situation of well we will respect our diff- each other's differences unless you're a nazi if you're a nazi you can go fuck yourself <laughs> um and here we go this is where it'll be oh marcus beer brings politics into it into it blah 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 look if you're a nazi supporting you know all the crap that's uh, the, the bad crap that went on in charlottesville and you want to have your little right wing marches 10 to 1 you're a gamer gator as well so do us all a favor it's not about ethics it's about you being wankers um <laughs> but i look we've got to grow up as an industry we've all got to grow up as an industry we've got to grow up as a society we've got some great games coming out in the next 12 months i mean yeah. we've got the new red dead 
Yeah. Finally, we've got a new Red Dead. Yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> and it's ironic that um, I still think that the, the, you know, the best game of the last sort of like five years was the last GTA. Yeah, I mean, it's still the top selling game all these I'm, years later. I'm playing GTA online. <laughs> I'm going in and play, and now they they're actually doing, uh, you know, a, a, a sort of an update that's going to make it kind of, um, you know, player unknown. Battlegrounds, yeah. PUBG. Yeah, it just launched yesterday, actually. Yeah, and I mean that's great because they keep on going and doing this, and I, you know, I've gone in and I still think that's the best game of the five, maybe even the best game of the decade. I mean, beating out, you know, some of the others like the the, the Fallout's and. Uh, and Skyrim's and sales wise, it's not even close. I mean, it continues to be in the top 10 every month because it's, years it's after a fantastic release. game over and over. Yeah, and look, I mean, uh, I came late to the Red Dead party, I really did. I mean, Redemption was the was the one that I, I played, but I played you know after watching you guys playing it over and over, and I really began to enjoy it. Um, so yeah, the new, the new one is going to be great. Um, we've got a bunch of cool indie titles coming, which are going to be a lot of fun for people. I've got my, hopefully, my crackdown. Got a new South Park game. That's right. Yeah, I'm excited the for that game. Yeah, Fractured Butthole. I mean, look, if you haven't played Stick of Truth, by the way, if anybody out there has not played Stick of Truth, I just replayed it all the way through for, like, the third time. I've done once on PS3 and now twice on PC. And this time I actually went and made sure I got I, I got a walkthrough and got all the fun little bits. But it's still just one of the best-written games. It is, yeah. Uh, and it just goes, you know, that, that's great licensed content. So... I know there's people who are going to be pissed that I don't like Overwatch or I don't like Hearthstone or I don't like, um, you know, I don't want to get into. F- and it's not actually it's not a question of not liking. They don't appeal to me. They're not my cup of tea. It's not I don't hate them, but they're not my cup of tea. I mean, um, Fortnite is another one. Paragon and more power to you know these people who are doing this stuff. But um, am I interested in um, Destiny? Destiny 2. I played the beta. Felt like Destiny to me. Yeah, I thought the campaign was a lot better than the first Destiny, though. Okay, I mean, I I maybe need to put more hours into it, but again, I'll I'm might just wait again until the October release of the PC version, right? Because apparently, you know, it's going to be better on Battle.net. It's um, looking great on PC. Yeah, but we've got a lot to be thankful for. Let's just hope that we still have a, you know, an industry and a planet and a country to enjoy it over the next. Like, I didn't go through all this shit just to have. Korea blow us up, floods and and earthquakes and <laughs> and biblical, you know, whatever. Yeah. Um, and all the, you know, all this crap. I expect to be around for forty years and forty odd years, and I want to be able to breathe. I want to be able to eat, and I want to be able to drink water without having to sort of like drink it from my ankles because I'm I've developed <laughs> web, webbed feet. So we just need to get with the program. Well, there you go. The return of Grumpy McGrump. So um. He thinks games editorial will not go away? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. It sounds like he has bigger concerns. He certainly does, <laughs> yes. That was, I mean... You can't a, have a games journalism world if there's no world. That's a good point. Yeah. That was the first time in the whole interview where Marcus went back to his old form. Annoyed yeah, that was, Gamer. That was some vintage Annoyed Gamer action. It was, yeah. And he was called Grumpy McGrump on Invisible Walls <laughs> before he was uh, anointed the Annoyed Gamer. So, yeah. So, a lot also, of times, he said beta, not beta. He did, yeah. I don't think I've ever heard him say beta, not beta before. Well, there's a lot of times when you do interviews. He's got to go back to Wales. <laughs> he's, losing, he's losing the mojo. Yeah, right. There's a lot of times when you do interviews and you, you realize they're flying off the rails and they're not answering the question. <laughs> 
And I realized it pretty much immediately, but I just saw Marcus take flight. Right. And I was just like, there he is. He's like <laughs> that little eagle that you raised, and then he just takes off and flies. And I was like, I'm just going to let him go. So uh, there you go. You guys have been waiting to hear Marcus. He just heard him. A so. true return. Yep. And uh, Adam has a more traditional answer to the question mm. about games editorial. Let's hear what he had to say. I don't see it headed to a very good place. Um, it's less the issue with the influencers. I'll, I'll get back to that in a second, but you're right. It's that, and this is happening in the press, because we're seeing like, you know, New York Times, which I think is doing well, you know, still having to lay off workers. Yeah. And that, you know, we're constantly hearing about the pivot to video, <laughs> which is, you know, which is and, insane. And, it, a lot, and, and so much of that comes from the fact that no one has figured out how to generate ad revenue online. And so the money's not coming in like it once did for all of these sites. And yeah, they're having to let go of the senior staff. The real danger I see with letting go of the senior staff is you're bringing in young people, which is good, because you always want to have sort of a new energy and new voices, but you don't have a senior staff to kind of guide them. Right. Kind of say like, hey, you know, make, you know when, when, when you're young and you're being a critic, you tend to like want to show your chops just by attacking everything. Yeah. Now, by being critical, you can show your ability for criticism. Right. And it takes older people, you know, to sometimes kind of like, you know, show the way, kind of like, you know, cool things off. And so I think that's why you see these very sort of fiery think pieces all the time. I think sometimes they're a little bit like, you know, outside of logic. They're so from inside, like the most inside baseball perspective. And once again, they're not bringing in a larger audience. It becomes this kind of self-fulfilling prophecy. Um, I think the only solution, man, people are probably gonna attack me for this, is that you're going to start to see less game-centric sites. And what you're going to see is games being covered in more general-purpose publications, digital publications, you know, like the Washington Post, like the Daily Beast, something like that where it's, you know, just like you have the movie section and you have that section, you'll have a section that maybe is tucked into the technology area where you have some, like, one or two staffers who are ruminating and reviewing games. Um, I don't... I don't really see where this goes. I don't blame influencers and streamers for the cause of this. Um, they generate a lot of good audience, but they, they really are entertainers through and through. And I think they're serving something very different for that audience. Um, that you know, there's there's still people out there that want to learn about games, and they're not going you know necessarily to most of the streamers and influencers for that. Streamers and the influencers are just like they're working in this new medium that I never anticipated where. Someone will watch someone else talk for three hours. Right. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, the audience is there. Do you think that maybe? And look, I I watch entirely too many video game podcasts because it's the nature of sifted. We have to watch the content before we decide to curate it to the site. So I watch everything. And one thing I've really noticed over the last several years running the site is that you don't get a lot of criticism from the bigger publications. A lot of the bigger publications on their shows, they just kind of sit there and they talk about the stuff that they like and then they kind of all agree with each other. It seems like the more biting criticism I see is on YouTube. Um, and you know, you kind of talked about how some of their criticism may be misguided and not as well informed maybe as it should be. But do you think maybe that's why a lot of the younger audience is going to YouTube is because that's where they actually find some criticism of games and some biting opinions, whether they agree or disagree with it. See, it's interesting because I don't listen to a lot of gaming podcasts. I just don't have the time and it's not essential for, for what I do. So I'm just gonna take you at your word that you, know, you don't see much criticism there. I see criticism on sites 
in articles and stuff like that. Right. Definitely people who write for those sites on Twitter who seem to almost have an unhealthy, <laughs> jaundiced view of what's happening inside of the industry. Um, but kind of to your point, okay, back when I was doing Sessler Soapbox, and my God, this just happens when someone still, God forbid, recognizes me from, from my days in television. <laughs> it's like, oh, I love when you did that thing when you would rant about the video games. And, you know, even at G4, if, like, suddenly the numbers for Sessler Soapbox were declining, they're uh -huh. like, yeah, can you do an angry one? And I think that this kind of form of populism that we're seeing, especially on YouTube, which is the game industry is evil. Without me, they will, you know, rub their evil hands together and take advantage of you. That, like, it, it, that, that's a good way to generate an audience. People just gravitate towards anger. And I do think that there are people at sites who are kind of aware of that of the, of sort of the dangerous end game if you go down that path, and that tends to manifest itself like that maybe in the podcast. But yeah, there's 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 a populist anger I definitely see on YouTube that I, I could I could probably say a lot of my former colleagues are a little bit wary of because that can sometimes I don't want to slam anybody out there, but. When you start to do that, I would say even I probably fell victim to that, you can start to chip away at truth and logic in favor of that kind of fun back and forth with you getting ranty and ravey and your audience going, yes, let's grab our pitchforks. What do you think about that, Matt? I mean, I think he's pretty right on. He's pretty spot it. on, yeah. And uh, I mean, I, especially because I would trace kind of a lot of the, uh, the YouTube gaming, like, critic culture back to the angry video game nerd. No, you're right. Who um, kind of pioneered that. He started, he's, let's, let's yeah. be honest, I mean, he it's started in the, it's in YouTube, the name, right? I mean, technically, angry video game nerd started game trailers. I mean, right. he was the king of our user movies, who then we, we then signed a deal with and had exclusively with him, and then Screw Attack after that. But mm. he was really the first YouTuber. Yeah. And he At least set, in this space, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he set the precedent mm -hmm. he laid down the template for mm -hmm. what was to come and, and i think and the important takeaway from him and it's something that maybe got lost in the evolution of it over the years is that one of the reasons i think he was popular back then in the early days was not just that he was angry but that he was angry but he was angry at the games because of, a, of, of that way we all get angry at games because it's, you know, when you come down to it, it's one of the few entertainment media where it's you against the medium. Yeah. You know, you're not competing with a movie. You're not trying to beat the book. Right. You know, yeah. but, but there are points at which the game is trying to stop you from having fun in a way. Yeah. And he was one of the first people, I think, to really acknowledge and really play up the idea that getting angry at these things is part of why we love it. Yeah. And like there was the, the anger in the angry video game nerd, at least in the classic stuff. I stopped following years ago on that stuff around the time he made that movie. Yeah, but but the classic stuff, especially like the old you know, NES Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles thing and all that yeah. stuff. it's it's a recognizable feeling. It's it's that that you know the the raging sort of like you know throwing the controller, punching the, the couch feeling of like getting stuck on these things that's part of the experience and that was being acknowledged maybe for the first time in a, in a visceral way because it's hard to convey that through text. I think he really t he was really taking advantage of the video medium that was starting to become a thing on the internet at that time because you're starting to be able to have the bandwidth to do it. Um, and I think a lot of it comes out of there. I mean, I watch Angry Joe periodically, but like 
I see a lot of angry video game nerd in his approach. He, well, yeah, he, he, he's ta- he makes it his own. The whole idea. He yeah. makes it his own in a lot of ways, but it's still that same idea of like guy ranting about video game with skits. Yeah. Which also, I mean, was X play. It was to yeah. be fair. I mean, we yeah. that was that was trying to form for years and years, and I think angry video game nerd kind of is the one that crystallized it best. He also has the perfect name. So he has Angry, which you got into. Mm -hmm. The anger you have, this weird push and pull you have with Mm -hmm. this relationship with the video games that you're playing. Video game. Well, he was originally Nintendo, wasn't he? It was. was originally the Angry Angry Nintendo Nintendo Nerd. Nerd, And he had to change it. Which has a nice alliteration to it. I I can see why you go with that. Yeah. Video game, obviously, so you know what the Mm -hmm. content's about. And then Nerd. Right. And... I think that is just important as the angry part because mm-hmm. he is a nerd. And that that's not a me making a derogatory comment about him. He'll call himself that. He's legit. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what people saw in him right away is that he's real. He's like me. He loves mm-hmm. video games. He doesn't care about all this other frivolous pop culture BS. He loves games. And that name, I think, just angry yeah. Nintendo nerd. Boom, boom, boom. And it's good. Yeah, but I think Adam at the end there hits on a very important point that the more you get you you play that up and the more you buy into that, you can chip away at truth. Yeah. And while it is important that you see yourself in the angry Nintendo nerd, the angry video game nerd, it's important to know if you've ever met that guy, he's playing a character. Uh, to, to a large degree. I mean, he's not so much, though, some, really. But he is not that screaming crazy person that is portrayed in the skits No, all the time. he's really quiet. Yeah. yeah, he's a quiet guy. Kind he's, of, he's a nerd. He's a nerd. I yeah, mean. but he's putting on a persona. Like, if you spend a day with him, he probably would not try to throw the couch at the television. No, no, no. Um, it's, it's not like that. So, like, but you end up in that thing where it's, you know, is Alex Jones playing a character or not? Nobody knows. Like, yeah. it's like, you know, in the, 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 the there's a... There's a you know, there was a lawsuit where his lawyer said he's just playing a character. He's not really this crazy. And then he got up on the stand and was like, I totally believe everything I say. But is he the character or is he himself? Like, you don't know anymore. Right. And, like, there's not, that, that dividing line between fiction and reality has been degrading ever since, ever since Survivor went on the air, really. I mean, the reality TV boom kind of created this thing where we want to see ourselves in these, in, on the screen in a way that we didn't have to see ourselves on the screen in previous times. And... And I think that this kind of is part of that whole trend. And I agree with him that after a while, it's very hard to tell what's real and what's not. I also agree with him. And video his... games, fan fandom and video games, I think, increasingly sets the tone for internet discourse. And yeah. I think there's a responsibility there that we are not fully acknowledging as fans of this medium. And so, I also think that getting positive reinforcement for being angry creates this self-perpetuating mm-hmm. cycle where you want to get more angry so you get more positive right. feedback and it, and it can be dangerous and so. it's like you know there was i recently had some discussions with some people about like you know how long this particular thing should be and they're like well we think it's too long we shouldn't think it should be more like seven minutes long because that's how long internet videos should be and so i pulled <laughs> up uh, a two and a half hour deconstruction of why fallout 3 sucks yeah that had two million <laughs> views and i'm like Boom. Like, long-form stuff is important, but here's the important thing. Look at the long-form stuff that's really popular right now in the video game space. It's almost exclusively really, really long teardowns of games. Really, really long reasons why things suck. And, like, that's that's where the appeal is. It's like, you want to see someone just take this game you hate apart. It's become a spectator sport. It's schadenfreude. Yeah. And it's like... Are there shot... 
that's the one thing. You don't I'd see say. a two and a half hour video of Fall, why Fallout Four is the best game of the year that no. has two million views. Like the positive <laughs> criticism doesn't get that. Yeah. So that's a that's a pitfall that's very tempting to fall into. But I think negativity, sadly, with a, a big part of our audience, it's what they want. They want mm-hmm. to hear people who are pissed off about something or exposing something. Right. Like any time they can use the word admit. Blah, 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 admits, meaning that mm-hmm. they did something that they thought they were getting away with, and then they got caught, and now they have to admit that they were wrong. Right. Or, and it's about, it's kind of know, that whole culture. And I just, you know, I've never quite, I don't think, bought into that. It's like, I feel if I bought into that more, I would have been more hardline about my opinion on No Man's Sky, which yeah. I, you know, unabashedly love. But even in our Game of the Year thing, where I gave it my Game of the Year, I was like, I will sit there for two hours while you tell me everything wrong with this game, and I'll sit there and nod and agree with you. Because, yeah. like... That doesn't matter. It, it was doesn't your favorite it, game. Yeah, I loved it. It's just, yeah. and I love it more now. But it's like, you know, if I were if I were uh, trying to do my own Angry Matt channel on YouTube, I would have just been screaming at people that disagreed with me that they were morons. That, Nobody would have watched you, your video because you liked something. Yeah, because I liked it. <laughs> like, but if I'd made a two-hour video about why uh, Sean Murray should be thrown in a thresher for lying to us, millions of views. I, I would, yeah, smash we would, that like button. Yeah, we'd, we'd, we'd be merging sifted with that channel right now. Yeah, for all the viewers. Speaking of which, this is the first episode of Game Face that is going up on YouTube for everyone mm. since like episode fourteen. So a long time ago. I think we're supposed to say something like smash the like button or share or something. Like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. <laughs> yeah. You can do it if yeah. you want. That's basically yeah, how yeah, I look good. at it. I think if you like it, you're going to like it. And if you like this show and you like Pactor Factor, you're going to yeah. subscribe. But yeah, this you, should, is, you, should, you should click the Patreon link. That's uh, the most important than. part, yeah. Um, yeah, so... Nice to meet some of you guys. Some of you guys have never seen Game Face. Uh, some of you may have watched the first handful of episodes or know me from Invisible Walls or whatever. We're also not usually dressed this well. Yeah, I this just... is just for episode 100. We're usually a lot more casual. But uh, it's nice to meet some of you guys, seeing us for the first time. Hopefully you've liked the show. Uh, this show is completely different from how Game Face is as well. Maybe we shouldn't have started off with this. The timing yeah, just I mean, kind of it's, it's It's a special episode, you know, that's always a problem. We're celebrate. We're about to do another normal one soon. Yeah. So, you know. Yep. And for we, those of you... If our faces don't offend you, try the next one, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and uh, those of you guys who are watching this, you're actually watching it late. Uh, you're getting it three or four days later on YouTube. If you want to see this show when it's hot and fresh, uh, become a patron on our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash sifted. If you didn't see it on screen the whole damn episode already. So. Right. <laughs> And um, speak, speaking of disclosure, because uh, I think, was it Marcus or Adam that mentioned about, you know, sponsors and disclosures? Yes. Very important to tell people what's happening. Yeah, we actually have a sponsor for Sifted. First, our Patreon just kicked off. We got a sponsor right out of the gate. And we're going to deliver their ad copy right now on a live right. read. Welcome to our first sponsor, ExtraTurns.com. Are you tired of paying 10 to 15% commission or more selling your used games online? What if you could sell your used games commission-free, Matt? What if? At Extra Turns, you can. (gasps) That's right. (laughs) (laughs) 
Xreturns.com is a brand new marketplace being built from the ground up to sell your games, collectibles, electronics, and memorabilia. They won't charge you a thing to sell or exchange or use games, and they'll always beat their competitors in every other category. Hmm. Visit Xreturns.com to sign up for the site's launch. It's not even live yet. You can get in early and get your first five listings free. Like and share Extra Turns on Facebook and Twitter, and you can see the handles right there. And you're automatically entered to win an SNES Classic for this holiday season. Which is probably your only shot. Yep. Really. <laughs> I may enter. <laughs> <laughs> Don't wait. Sign up for Extra Turns today to join a brand new community dedicated to gamers just like you. So there you go. ExtraTurns.com. Thank you very much for being our first ever sponsor. And thanks to you for checking out Game Face episode 100. It's kind of a shame that we've done this many, and this may be the first episode you've ever watched, but letter, better late than never. So, That's what the archive's for. Yep, that is. Uh, so first of all, we'd like to thank Adam and Marcus for taking the time to do interviews with us. I mean, they honestly haven't done anything with anyone for a really long time. And so we really appreciate those guys uh, doing episode 100 with us. We really appreciate it. Thanks to all you guys who have supported us on the Patreon already. We need more. We need a lot more. So please consider um, becoming a patron for Sifted. Uh, for $2, you get Pactor Factor. Uh, for $4, you get everything else we do, including this, as well as MP3 and podcast versions of Game Faith, which is nice considering how long the show is. So once again, hello to everybody for the first time. And what's up to all our old subscribers? Game Face is up and out.